Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Reveille, reveille, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. Oh, yeah. You asked for the art. You got the art. Yes, Friday, July 15th, 2022 is when you're watching this. This right here is the award-winning Morning Combat, the best damn combat sports show. Period. Yes, my name is uh, just one half of this co-hosting duo right here. Maybe the saucier of the two, a little uh, American Alpha on that ass, the BDC with the BBE. You get, you get what I'm trying to do there in the end. Uh, Brian Campbell coming at you here. All right, all our, all the time. Full Frontal Fridays, right? That's what MK offers to you. But, you know, you may not get in the building because of me. You love that man sitting next to me. He's, he's a fantastic fight analyst, a really good dad, too. No one necessarily talks about that enough. He's from the capital of Los Estados. His name is Luke Thomas. Estados Unidos. Well, are they States. really all that Unidos these days, Luke? Are they? <laughs> I okay. Yeah, that's a good question, actually. I don't know the answer to that. But I am here. I am here, and I'm happy to be here with you, my good sir. Wow, we don't have shows very often, BC, where we're both wearing merch from the MK yeah. store. But today's How one of those that? days. Let's let's start off right there. Well, first of all, we're filming this this one right here a day in advance. We're not technically live. BC's got some dad duties uh, in our normal Friday thing, but uh, in case news breaks between now and then, all right? Why don't you F off, people, okay? But you guys didn't want you to just F off already, all right? But you mentioned the merch, Luke. Morningcombat.store can get you, I mean, fantastic, fantastic threads, Luke. Right now I'm rocking this incredible MK tie-dyed shirt with, I mean, the quality is ridiculous. Luke, what are you wearing at the moment? I'm wearing the uh, skull with the weights joint. No, the, underneath that, on the bottoms. What are you wearing, Luke? Oh, gym shorts. Oh, okay. <laughs> Just trying to make sure. Yeah, you can get the Dead Luke line. You can get Factory Town MMA. Or how about our new one? Yeah, pregame preview, real talk, like men do. Go right there right now to morningcombat.store. Why? Why should you buy that particular shirt? There it is right there in many fantastic, ridiculous colors. Probably, Luke, because, you know, there's a feeling behind the scenes that this, this shirt is not only potentially offensive, but it won't sell shit, and that this is just to glorify BC's cravings. Okay, Luke? So, yeah, uh, a lot of MK is that. <laughs> so uh, why don't you get on out there and add that 
to your closet. Okay, thank you. That, that, yeah, thank you. All right. Uh, you know about Showtime, 30 days free right now on Showtime.com. Why not start a free trial? Because here's the deal. Where else can you watch prime quality MMA under the Bellator banner, Showtime Championship Boxing, your boy BC on the Showbox? You know, maybe some great movies and docs along the way. Uh, check it out for new customers here. Get your 30 days free. Try it. You're going to like it. But if you want to pound sand on the back end, those are your issues. Uh, Luke, it is a Friday show, so hot damn are we going to set the stage for a fun weekend to come. We're going we're gonna to hit you up, uh, the odds, the picks ahead of UFC Long Island, which is going to be a Saturday afternoon affair. We're going to uh, do a little dead wrong, catch up on the fan submissions that we missed on Wednesday, hit some potentially important UFC labor news, all that, and then some tall, pale and handsome. It is your boy, BC. Uh, Luke, but before we start that journey, they can go to youtube.com slash morningcombat for a bevy of bonus material. You got any that you want to shout out at the moment, Luke? Had a short but uh, relatively interesting conversation with Jake Paul. That's one you can go check out. Not that long, 12 minutes. Uh, we also have a phenomenal, and I think the fans who have seen it have been, they've, they've, they understand what it's all about. But we had a sit down with Michael Chiesa when we were in Las Vegas for Room Service Diaries. We talked about a lot, including his time on The Ultimate Fighter, where he's headed, Drunk stories here, drunk stories there. It's been it's been pretty great. So, uh, yeah, go check that out. Thank you, thank you very much. And uh, you know, if you're invested in our success because you feel like you're part of the family, and why wouldn't you? We love you. All your weirdness, we get you. MK care. If don't nobody else care, uh, why don't you vote for us to go further in the nomination quest under the auspices, of course of the People's Choice Podcast Awards. You can scan the Q code, QR code, excuse me, on the screen right now, or you can go to podcastawards.com slash app slash sign up, toggle down to the sports category, vote for MK if you're feeling it. It only takes 60 seconds or less. Could it produce a live show in New York City in November? It's possible, folks. But here's the deal. Luke, we're nominated for Best Sports Podcast, which we were last year and lost. No, no offense. No big deal best male-hosted podcast, but are you seeing the replies that from our fans that even our producers may have missed? We're also nominated for a third one, like best, uh, what is it, entertainment pod? Sports and entertainment, something like that? I did not see that. That's actually news to me. That's that's pretty cool. All we should, right, we should probably that. look a little further into that, but apparently a show so great, Luke, uh, People's Choice. Yeah, yeah, it's a People's Choice world. Yeah. All right. What does that even mean, Mikey? I don't even know. All right. Thank you. Apparently, Luke, there's three categories we're, we're assigned for, but uh, I have no idea what Mikey's talking about there. Well, uh, I'm glad so get, we're very prepared to uh, make the sell that folks should vote for. <laughs> yeah, you should probably vote for us. Click that QR code. Have some fun. Look, it won't take you long, but <laughs> the more you invest in your free time into us, the more we'll waste more of your free time with outstanding content. And that right there is a guarantee. Luke, Finally, before I cross over and get serious, you got any weekend plans? I wanted to set you up by saying this. I took my son yesterday to the IMAX theater to Ooh. see that new uh, Thor movie. And, dude, you know I'm not down with those type of movies. What? That was a, a fun-ass ride I went through right there. See, that's funny you mentioned that because I've, I've, I've not seen it. I have not seen it. But I've heard the reviews are like a little uh, kind of not that great. As I got to tell you, like some of the previous ones, like the uh, Infinity War and Endgame, the two big ones in the whole MCU, those were amazing. I really enjoyed those. But uh, 
Okay, I'm going to give it a shot based on your recommendation. Well, look, you know, I've, I can't compare it to any of the other ones. I've never seen the Guardians or any of those. You know, they're all connected, right, under Marvel. But they're all in this movie, and Christian Bale, Luke, plays the the devilish character in this movie, and he is freaking incredible. I mean, look, I don't know if this is a step down from the previous Thor ones, and Luke, I couldn't give a flying shit, to be fair with you. Although I like watching it with my kid, but, uh, you know, IMAX is not is not not fun to watch a movie in that theater. It's a pretty good time, you know? Yeah, I think he played, uh, Bale played Gore the God Butcher, I think was his name, the, yeah. the character's name. Oh, yeah, yeah it was, it was dark and satanic as shit, Luke. You know, I was almost covering eyes on that point, all right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, 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 I'm always going to watch the MCU movies no matter what, but um, the Thor ones to me are prop. I got to say, this is going to sound like a little surprising, and maybe folks out there will disagree, and I ordinarily would not say this in terms of like who, which character I like more, but the individual movies of Doctor Strange to me have been better than the Thor movies. People said That's Thor Ragnarok was really good, and I liked it. I did not think it was better than than Doctor Strange. Yeah, uh, I you know I was surprised there were so many stars in it. Matt Damon had a cameo. You had Natalie Portman in it. Luke, uh, you know, all in all, what a, a hell of a father son experience there. So I recommend that for you and Tuki if she likes uh, you know Satan and stuff like that. I mean, does she listen, Luke, uh, to the Cannibal Corpse yet? No. Uh, one time it came on when we were driving home from. Uh, she does like Chewbacca, which is funny. And yeah. one time I was taking her home from her little gymnastics class and uh, I was playing, I was trying to find, you know, some song for her to play. And then like, you know, the Bluetooth connected to my phone right away in the car. And uh, I think it was either Cannibal Corpse or Dying Fetus came on, one of the two. And she, she yelled out Chewbacca when the guy started singing. So, you know, it's probably not for her just yeah. yet. Let's be fair. Well, when that. she watches Ace Ventura the first time, she'll be like, daddy, right? You don't get, you know, yeah, right. A little bit of that. A little bit okay. of that. Yeah, I don't have any weekend plans because my entire house has COVID, and uh, and you know that's a fucking nightmare. So well, Luke, one love as, as Bob Marley once said on my hat. One love, my very high tea hat. Okay, hope everybody <laughs> uh, gets to the other side. Luke, let's start the show. Let's get freaking serious here. Uh, it all goes down on the East Coast in the afternoon tomorrow. Uh, Long Island is the location. It's a UFC Fight Night card on ABC, folks. 11 a.m. Eastern, I believe, is the prelim start time. 2 p.m. Eastern, your main card. And, of course, headlined by, good Lord, a must-see featherweight matchup with legitimate title contention possibilities here as number one rated Brian Ortega looks to bounce back from a title loss last fall. An exciting one at that to Alexander Volkanovsky against a fellow one fight losing streak member, but a different scenario here, of course, for Yair Rodriguez, who despite losing to Max Holloway over five thrilling rounds last year, looked like maybe he was tearing the corner, making the leap. We know UFC brass has given him the potential blessing of a title shot with a win. Luke, I saw some Yair interviews this week. Even he is saying, that's great, but I got to win this fight. Let's wait and see what happens. Oh, no disrespect to Josh Emmett. We know of the heated sort of race right now. But that's all storyline stuff. Let's talk about this actual fight. It could be wild. It should be wild. Batshit wild. And right now, Luke, our friends at Caesar Sportsbook see it like this. Minus 175, your betting favorite, Brian Ortega. Plus 150, Yair Rodriguez. Luke, I look at this. I see two guys who are always willing to risk it all in their own ways, but I also see a just pure, beautiful styles clash on paper. What do you see heading into this one? 
I think the two biggest things you have to pay attention to are, it's funny, by the way, they both have three common opponents. They both have Max Holloway, they both have Frankie Edgar, and they both have Volkanovski. Uh, and they've had wildly different results. Obviously, Edgar got sent to the land of wind and ghosts by Ortega, but uh, Yair got dominated. Uh, you know, Ortega beat the, the brakes off of Chan Sung Jung, and he and yeah, Rodriguez had a crazy back and forth with that elbow when the knockout of the century type of win. And then, uh, you know, obviously, Yair had a back and forth with Max. Uh, that was kind of interesting, whereas Ortega had some moments in that fight, but largely got tuned up. So it's been interesting how the contours of that have been a little bit different between the. And obviously, you know, Edgar fought Yair at a different time in his career than he fought Ortega. Okay, neither here nor there. The thing that stands out to me mostly, I would say two things I'm going to be really paying attention to in this fight. Number one, dude, Ortega gets hit a lot. I mean, a lot. Strikes landed per minute, 4.15. Strikes absorbed, 6.69. He has a negative differential of well over two, over two and a half. For a ranked fighter, that, that is extremely high and not in a good way. And... Richard Manor Fight Metric wrote an article about this. Even if you take out the Volkanovski and Holloway fights, he still has a negative differential. Now, it's not as bad. It's less than an integer, but it's that's still not great. Dude takes a ton of damage. So what you've noticed is he kind of gets hit a lot, hit a lot. And like, for example, the Clay Guida and the Moicano fights speak to this, where he could kind of get hit. You know, he was given back too, obviously, in those fights. But then his submission prowess took over late, and it didn't really matter. As he moved up the food chain, that became less available to him like those other guys are not going to be as susceptible to jump guillotines or whatever even as good as you know uh, Ortega is with them and he's amazing so the first thing is how often is he going to get hit right what range is this fight going to take place at what is he going to do to diminish the output of a guy like Yair Rodriguez and you might say well he would wrestle but he's not really a wrestle heavy guy not successfully takedowns per 15 minutes less than 1.87 takedown accuracy for Brian Ortega 24%. 24%. He whiffs on over 75% of his takedown attempts. Now, that's not a thing that typically holds him up, right? Because, again, we go back to it. What does he do? Even when he's getting hurt, even when he's getting hit, he finds ways to land incredible submissions from all different kinds of, of paths. But I guess what I'm trying to point out here is, like, what is the realistic path for Brian Ortega? Either he has to find a way to slow down and control the striking department, or at least you know, minimize the danger in that way, and then stick to a you know sort of a more a basic meat and potatoes game where he can fire in the jab or something else like that. Slow him down with leg kicks. You know, there's a lot of different ways to do it. Or he has to kind of give in to the brawl a little bit so he can find close quarter situations, which would allow him to jump guard. Which you know, there's not many guys I could say I would recommend jumping guard to. Brian Ortega would be one of them. He has that kind of offensive prowess where folks just don't want anything to do with what he's got. Or I think he's got to find ways to like, you know, uh, a front headlock series or something like that to get to the back. That's what he has to do. He has to find some kind of close quarters game to do that. But in either of those cases, a lot of it just depends on wading through damage and then finding close quarter situations that Yair would, would relent to, would, 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 would accept as a consequence of what else he's doing, which means... It puts Ortega a little bit on the back foot. It's surprising to me a little bit that Ortega is the favorite. I would have this as closer to a pick'em, maybe even favoring Yair for these reasons. It's not that Yair, that Ortega is some slouch on the feet. He's not. 
And it's not it's not that he obviously doesn't have incredible <coughs> fight finishing power he or fight finishing ability I should say. He most certainly does, but even though he can dish it out on the feet and even though he is certainly a submission threat, dude, there are a lot of ways he can't and at least I should say historically hasn't shown the capacity to introduce control meaningfully as a way to get there. The Korean zombie fight notwithstanding. Those are the things I'm paying attention to, BC. I wonder what you think about that. Yeah, absolutely. Look, this is full potential to be skyrockets in flight here in this indeed afternoon delight because of the action the style contrast as i mentioned but also it's like two imperfect products that you kind of touched on guys that have shown the flashes of the elite yair rodriguez for the first time we're like oh man is he about to kick that elite door open and can and compete for a title on that level so it's like i can't figure out right now and i think you kind of nailed the, the the key stylistic questions that need answering if it's better for both to Stay to either evolve or for Yair, go go closer to this continued involvement of putting some of the craziness aside and fighting a little more controlled. Or as you kind of laid out with some of those things about Ortega's game that are not elite, does it still come down to him needing to be in a chaotic environment to have his best success? I mean, when we are being very fair here... Ortega does have a few come-from-behind wins in that initial rise, Luke. Times where it was he was down in round three and pulled guard or, or, what, or was taken down or what have you and then was able to pull out the win. Here's what I found interest, most interesting from listening to Yair talk this week, all right? He doesn't put as much praise on himself as you may think for the Max Holloway performance. He's obviously upset with the loss. Uh, he feels like it is what it is. You know, people are giving him a lot of praise and he's hearing it. But, you know, he... He wanted to win that fight. But the key, Luke, that he focused on, on what kept him in that fight was he felt really for the first time that he was able to stay poised in there, that he was able to stay to a game plan, that in situations where he may have just said, F it, let's, let's break out some spinny shit, let's do you know some wild stuff, let's take chances, he held, in his opinion, for the first time, really true to, to the give and take of this at the elite level and trying to carry out that game plan. I kind of agree with what you're painting that on the flip side for Ortega, as much as I'm saying, man, if he's going to really go higher than he's been, if he's going to really be a threat to win a championship outside of a, you know, sort of miraculous submission attempt, and boy, did he come freaking close against Volganovsky, you know, we need him to get ironed out. No, we may actually need him, Luke, to be wild man Ortega because of what Yair is saying about himself. If you can pull Yair into a wild fight, and it certainly ramps up the potential of you getting, you know, walking into something and getting slept, but you're also going to get a guy a little rabid off of his game plan who can make mistakes. And if you're Ortega, you do want to lure somebody off of their game plan, wait for that mistake, and then capitalize on it and try to get the finish, you know, particularly on the ground. So I'm wondering if Ortega's looking at that same math and is going to come up with that same end game. I need to prevent Yair from taking that next step into into a more, you know, composed fighter, and I need to get him into a little craziness. And, and when uh, Yair was asked this week during his media day about, you know, how are you going to deal with the BJJ exploits of uh, Ortega, his response was, quote, staying off the floor, that's it. But if Ortega's not going to be in positions to go for offensive takedowns or have success doing it, this is probably going to be on the feet a lot, Luke. And now I've, in two days, I think I've come full circle and saying if Brian Ortega is going to win this fight, it, it may have to be a, a, a wild affair. It may have to be a crazy, a crazy show, Luke. And when he gets there, 
even though the odds are often against him. Dude, does he come close of, of, of hitting the warning track with these deep fly balls? I mean, yeah, he does. You know, yeah, it was a brutal loss to Max Holloway. But some of those offensive surges that Ortega had in rounds, you know, late two, mid three, I really feel like would have taken down most elite fighters. Max, as we know, has such a ridiculous chin. We saw it in round one, of course, against Yair just recently. Um, this is leading me to believe all in all, Luke, that this fight very much will live up to expectations. I don't know if it goes the full distance, but I think we're going to have two hungry, young, exciting guys certainly realizing what's at stake here and aren't going to, you know, F around and potentially let the judges decide unless they have to. They're going to go after it. We're going to win as fans. Yet I got to be blunt and real with you. I'm not sure who's going to win as these two fighters because when you fight that kind of style, Craziness happens, Luke, and sometimes it's good, sometimes it's really freaking bad. I almost want to abstain here and be like, I'm just going to sit back and enjoy this. I don't need to I don't need to make a pick and win here, Luke, okay? I've already done that. People remember Woodley versus Till. They remember Bival Canelo. BC's belt notched enough. Let's just fucking enjoy this shit on Saturday, Luke. You with me? That's what I've been trying to tell you for three years, but you always make me do this bullshit. But the well, part of your job description, Luke, that's probably why. There's you know? nothing and, in my job description that requires me to give predictions on anything. And also, that's what that's that's real talk, like men do, just so you know. But I think in this case, it is a special scenario. So I do want to ask you, how do you see it playing out? You know, maybe you can stay short of your prediction, but how do you see the flow of this fight going? See, I, you picked up on something. I, I agree with it, and I said a little bit about it, and you expanded on it, and it, I think it's right. Dude, how many times have we seen Brian Ortega get lit up and then win a fight? You know, a million times. A million, yeah. I mean, obviously, I'm exaggerating. It's not quite a million. It's not even close. But, you know, the, the, sort of figuratively, there's been so many instances of him getting hit and getting backed up and blah, 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 and then all he needs is a quick moment, and then the show is over. Again, the Moicano fight, I was there for that one. That was the... I think that was Jones DC two, if I believe that's right, and you know it, he came back to to the the winners sort of media circle after the fight was over, and he could barely walk. They like Henry Gracie had to help him back there. He got chewed up in that fight and still found a way to win. So it's like here's the thing: Do I think as long as this fight lasts, Yair is probably going to eat him alive on the feet, unless Ortega has a new gear he hasn't shown us yet, which by the way is possible. We referenced that on Wednesday with like the inactivity and with the kind of growth that is possible in between then. But do I think that Yair's going to light him up on the feet? I, I, I don't really have much of a doubt about it. A couple of the X factors you could think of is, one, you know, to what extent can Ortega use a jab and stuff like that to slow things down? The other one would be, could he catch kicks, right? If you're not great at takedowns, one way to kind of equalize that or to shorten that path is to be able to catch kicks and then run someone down. That's the thing you can do if you're a striker as well. Maybe we see something like that, and that enables him to get on top. Because on the mat, I don't think... I don't think anybody has anything for Brian Ortega really in that division. You know, a guy like Volkanovski might be the exception, but like grappling for grappling, I don't think Volkanovski's actually better in that sense. So so what do I expect? I expect Yair to tune him up for a while, to be honest with you. But, I mean, the thing you have to ask yourself is, does Ortega last through that? He might. What if it goes late? I think Yair has shown a, uh, a you know, you didn't see it as much in the fight with Holloway, but... I think in other fights, it's kind of faded a little bit down the stretch. That's another thing to sort of think about. This one is where a case where, you know, Trevor Whitman talks about it all the time. It's like, the, what's the difference between the guys who are very, very, very good or elite from the ones who are just a step below that? And it's the capacity to control for mistakes. These guys have both kind of wide open, defensively liable styles. That's the problem with picking this fight. It's like, 
you know, one guy is very good on the feet and the other guy has just, you know, insane durability and lights out submission opportunities that he can just snatch a throat like that. How do you make a pick in that? I, I guess if I'm forced to, I, I might lean a little bit towards Rodriguez, yeah. but not very comfortably at all. And I agree with you. I w- it might go the distance, but I feel like however long it goes, it's going to be batshit. It's going to be batshit insane, probably in both directions for a time. This one it, is going to be an all-action affair. I agree with you on both being surprised that Ortega's the favorite and, right, Arte- let me see. Yeah, or Ortega being a, a very favorite. slight favorite. Minus 175. Rodriguez is the, it, it, despite both coming off of defeats, stock-wise, form, you know, current form. I think we're all going to agree that it seems like Yair is going in the, di- in the other direction than Ortega, who has more questions to answer. But what I certainly love by default about this fight is is kind of what you said. You go to the ground, one guy's got a huge advantage. You stay on the feet. For the most part, we're going to assume one guy, Yair, is going to have a huge advantage. But Luke, when fights get crazy and, and, and weird and bad shit and all that, and let's also keep in mind, again, Yair saying, I really need to stay out of bad situations if I'm going to you know, fulfill my destiny. Um, it can come down to the intangibles. I don't know how much longer Brian Ortega is going to be able to take this type of damage, but can go five rounds, Yes. Can get can walk through, you know, hell. Yes. A lot. Can pull victory out of the clutches of defeat. Yes, as we just established. A lot. Even though we've seen Yair perform very well in a five-round thriller and losing to Max, and then also rally in a five-round thriller in a close fight that I believe he was losing at the time to Korean Zombie to pull it off with, you know, the miraculous one-second left elbow there on the 25th anniversary of the company in Denver. Uh, do you think what we know about Yair's intangibles, that they are equal to all this stuff that we're lauding Ortega, where we're saying, dude, we need you to pick up the game in these other areas, but when the shit goes down, there's not too many better than you. Yeah, yeah, they might be in that sense, not equal and that they share all the same qualities, but that in those scenarios, they both bring an extra dimension to take advantage of them or meet the moment or something like that, right? Like they both have this ability to lean into that kind of danger in a way that a lot of the other guys, very good fighters, by the way, just don't. Yeah, probably. But in the end, I'm just trying to think about like what would matter. Like, dude, Yair, his high flying style. Like, how often does his back get turned, or does he slip and lose his balance? Like, when you think about Ortega, that's all it takes. All you got to do is be misjudge your distance one time, slip and fall, scramble the wrong direction, and the fight's over. That's 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 the kind of moment he has. But up until then, he might be you know just getting teed off on. How do you make a pick between that? Like, it's very very difficult to kind of figure that out. It's like. Volkanovski has his limits, but he doesn't make a lot of mistakes. Max has his limits, but he doesn't make a lot of mistakes, or at least not kind of cataclysmic ones in that way. Both of these guys have all kinds of defensive vulnerabilities, but the other ones also have, while they have tremendous offense, limits in that sense. And you just can't quite see how the pieces of the puzzle are going to go together. But to answer the question more directly, yeah, dude, if this gets to the third round and it turns into a dogfight... You got two dogs here. You got no doubt about it, two effing dogs here. 100,000% between them. In the end, you know what I always say, skills win fights. And I, I, I just don't know which skill among them that which one has. This is the thing I can't figure out, BC. Which one of those is going to be the deciding factor? 
that's the part I just can't yeah. really get a beat on, even though I know what they kind of bring to the table in that regard. Uh, I wanted to hit you with a, and I agree. I wanted to hit you with a quick postscript about our Wednesday debate re- regarding the stakes and you know potentially Rodriguez getting a storyline. We also laid out, hey, what if Ortega wins spectacularly? Could Josh Emmett be sent to the back, you know, to the on deck circle once more? I went back and I did listen to Emmett, which if the fans can do right now, in our Room Service Diaries 2.0 sit-down from just a couple weeks ago in Vegas for a story I was writing for CBS Sports about, you know, who does deserve it right now? And, you know, if Yair gets the win. And, Luke, it is deeper. You know, we, we, we've we already gone on record and said we kind of we feel like Emmett deserves it. Five wins in a row. I know a couple of those have been close, but he has just, God, he has given everything he freaking has to these. And they've been against, you know, top-rated guys, although he he admits he's yet to been given the chance to fight the true elite, and that's the door he's trying to kick in. But part in his chat with us, Luke, about you asked him specifically, what's the case against Yair or Ortega getting the shot? He not only talked about the fact that they're both coming off defeats, but he brought up the inactivity, and he brought up Luke... Not in a sour grapes way, but in a more reality, realistic way of what he feels, how the UFC rankings, which we always have said, you know, take a grain of salt in terms of what they mean, how they're put together, all that, but how they play into this. Because it's like, you know, it's UFC's philosophy to take somebody who just lost the title shot and keep them at number one, even though we wouldn't agree right now that Ortega in reality is probably the number one contender for this title. No, we just saw him lose uh, his title shot. But particularly about that layoff, Here's what Josh's case kind of comes even more cemented and further, Luke. It's like Yair has lost, has fought just once in the past 32 months, and it was a loss. Ortega has fought just twice in the past 42 months after missing two years before, you know, as, as part of that, or I'm sorry, as before that, and now, you know, one of the most recent one is a loss. Emmett has claimed that his ranking has changed even, like, he'll win a fight, they'll give him a new ranking, and then by the time he goes for his next fight and he shows up on TV, the rankings complete, can be completely different than they were. Like, are we at a point now where not only should Emmett get the case, but when you dig deeper, it's like, damn, this, this is really a, a uh, meritocracy of marketing, and that's it, Luke. I'm, well, it really in the sense the that case. The I mean, case none, none of did. these guys are frauds. I, mean, I, know, I know that's not what you're saying, but just to be clear, like, you know, we're talking about three very high-level guys, but yeah, this is what I always go back to. It's like, dude, you know, you have to divorce whatever sympathetic or negative feelings you might have about a fighter when assessing readiness, capability, or their their deservedness for a title shot. The argument for Yair and Ortega, it's not that there isn't one. You can make one depending on what, again, we'll see what happens on Saturday if one of them gets a spectacular win. Certainly you have to, you know, make account of that and what that might mean. But the argument against Josh Emmett is not nearly as strong as the argument to me against either Ortega, who's had a shot against both of the current uh, sort of elite featherweight guys and the existing champion, and Yair. Now, Yair's a different story because if he beats Ortega, that would be kind of a big one. And, you know, and I get there's other factors, but like, People have a real hard time in the sport separating how much they like a fighter or how, much, how popular a fighter is from what the actual resume says, unless they hate a fighter. And then they're very quick to note that, like, for example, Colby Covington, who I guess is sort of polarizing in that way, that he hasn't beaten anybody ranked inside the top, whatever it was, until he fought Jorge Masvidal. Like, he had this sort of unearned reputation to be up there. 
Like all of these things factor into the analysis. If you just look at what Josh Emmett has done and oh, he didn't beat Cater. Yes, the fuck he did. It's a W on his record. Whether you agree or not, it is a fucking W on his record. Yeah. You have to accept that and take it into account. When and, you well, look, look at what he's done, it's, a the robber, done, it's more deserving. I'm not cutting you off to take the floor. I'm cutting you off to add to your point and let you expand on it. Unless it's a just an outright robbery where no one accepts it. Was it a close fight? Yes. Right? Was it a fun? Like, was it a really good fight? Yes. When somebody wins a really good fight, even if it's by one round, the opposite of your scorecard, to your point... You can't necessarily act like that's a defeat. Like, dude, I thought Whitaker beat Adesanya, right? I thought Holloway beat Volkanovski in the second one. But you're right. It didn't fucking happen, Luke. Okay? It, it, yeah, the, the record is what the record is. And you and if you're a fighter and you get that W, you're going to take that to the bank. You're going to say, I've got this on my fucking record. This is what I have done. What have I yeah. done? The judges said I did this. And that's the only thing that matters in the end. You can, of course, couch that in terms of what it might mean for future matchups and all that kind of stuff. Fine, fine. No problem. The reality is this, the fans love Brian Ortega, and God bless him for it. And the fans love Yair Rodriguez, and God bless him for it. The fans don't really seem to care about Josh Emmett, which is bad for him, but none of those factors should influence the meritocratic decision-making by which a title shot is adjudicated. And I think a lot of people just haven't fully wrapped their head around the fact that whatever else you think about Josh Emmett and how strong his case is, it's a lot stronger than the case for either of these two guys yeah. in the co-main event. It just is. I mean, just the last five alone, you know, Emmett 5-0, and oh, uh, Rodriguez 2-2 two and two with one no contest. So, you know, that is a big part of it. Can you imagine if the role, Jose, can you imagine if the roles were reversed and Josh Emmett was coming in off of a loss in a fight? Granted, some main event against somebody else very good, and Yair had a five-fight win streak, and they would try and tell you that Yair didn't deserve it? Put the resumes on the other people and try and make that argument with a straight face. You'd be laughed out of the fucking room for saying something like that. The only reason why it floats is because Josh Emmett is not nearly as popular as those other two guys. Switch the resumes around and all of a sudden the argument becomes very, very unpalatable. Uh, Luke, we know that Ortega is a beautiful man. Fantastic sense of style. <laughs> but, you know, he shaved the head down to the damn bone, looking like the Phoenix rising from the two-year layoff to defeat TKZ. Uh, I'm told that this week he's got more of a man bun look. Do you think, I'm not asking if you think someone's hair makes them better or worse or helps them in a situation, but like, okay, I am asking you that, Luke. Long-haired Ortega is the guy I think that, that could be the best he can be. I don't, I don't know if I want to see that creepy ball guy again, okay? Creepy ball guy, but... TKZ on skates, though. You know? Yeah, but as we talked about, right? As we talked about, Luke. Get, grow, you know, be Samson. Grow that hair. And finally, Luke, regarding Ortega, and you're not gonna, you're not gonna want to answer this question. But Luke, when it comes to his game outside the cage, does he even try? And he I know probably, saying, he like, probably doesn't have to try very much when you're right, naturally. He doesn't have to. You know but is saying? he like, such just, an artist? Yes, it's effortless. That he. That on top of the fact that he doesn't have to try to make it work, he might try a lot on top of that just to be the best, Luke. Just, you know what I'm, I'm going to spoil one thing from our talk with Uriah Faber. We may have already said this. I don't even remember. But we had a long sit down with Uriah Faber. It's great. It'll be out whenever it's out. But one of the things that we said was like, you know, when you blew up in popularity, there wasn't social media at the time. But, you know, did it really, you know, improve your, your ability to, you know, have a good relationships with the ladies? And he was like, he's like, well, it didn't hurt, but like nothing really changed. And we were like, Dude, oh, he right. Was dismissive. See, we're zeros. He was, like, 
here, here's how I remember it. You know what I mean? He basically turns to us and goes, well, and, you know, I never had a problem with that to begin with. So no, <laughs> yeah. nothing changed. And then it's we're like just me like, and BC oh. are like desperate for any kind of lottery system, you know. And he was like, yeah, we don't need that. I assume Ortega operates under a similar model. And you and I are the same age as Faber. And I know he's a, you know, he's an alpha male. He's team alpha male, right? I know he is. He's different than us. But, you know, you have a good hair day with the gel. You put on a good shirt. You know, me in that spectacular all the smoke jumpsuit that I had on with Kiesa. I mean, Luke, in that moment, I'm feeling it. But when when Faber said that, boy, did I shrivel like it was a cold day at the pool, Luke. You know what I'm going with that? I was with you. I was with you. All right. Anything else on this main event, Luke, or can we keep on going? No, let's move it along. All right. This co-main event, very interesting. Uh, Michelle Waterson, who we talked about on Wednesday, in great shape, lost three of four to the elite. The only win that split decision, Angela Hill. But she's leaving no stone unturned, it seems, at age 36. And another, maybe her final, probably her final, big-time opportunity to make the leap. Luke, she'll be a plus-275 underdog against a minus-330 Amanda Lemos, who had that win streak that we talked about, suffered the stoppage loss to Andrade, can really bounce back into that larger picture with a win here. Uh, Luke, talk to me style-wise. What should I be looking out for heading into this women's flyweight matchup? I would imagine Lemos, who's pretty straw strong, weight. her huh? straw weight, straw yeah. weight. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, I would imagine Lemos, who's pretty strong as well. Um, like for Waterson, what's the two best ways she's going to win? Kicking you and keeping the distance, like stick and move. You know, that's one way she's going to win. Or she could potentially win by takedown, finding the back, that kind of thing. I tend to think the takedowns are not going to be that easy for her. Lemos has a near 90% takedown defensive rate. She's, I think, naturally stronger in this weight class in ways that um, Waterson is not. So to me, I mean, mixing that in probably will play a role, like some kind of stifling work along the fence line. But really, it's about keeping, it's about it's about a volume, I think, and about range. Now, the part about that that's trouble for her is that Waterson has a negative differential as well. She absorbs 4.3, uh, 4.13, excuse me, strikes per minute, and then only lands 3.57 Whereas Lamos is the other way around. She lands over five and then absorbs just a little bit over four. So, you know, she's got a positive differential. And she hits a lot harder. She has takedowns herself. She has better takedown accuracy, better takedown defense. This is a tough one for Michelle Waterson to win. There's not, to me, a very clear path unless she can really use speed, movement, accuracy, and a very disciplined footwork game to stay either off the fence for defensive wrestling situations or to be able to land and get out of the way. But to the extent that she's flat-footed, kicks are caught, pressed against the fence, inside boxing range, you know, this is not, to me, a very winnable fight. Luke, what is the, the, the physical change here? The, the fact that she's, you know, she's shown us, and UFC's putting out photo spreads of her, right? She's a beautiful lady. We love Michelle Waterston. A great, you know, poster for who a, a fighter should be. But this whole thing about going all in here, will it lead, in your eyes, to a more desperate style? Not recklessly desperate, but a more like, I got nothing else to lose. I'm coming for it. I doubt it. That's really not been her MO. She definitely tries hard. I don't think she's some kind of quitter or anything like that. But, I mean, the, you know, and again, everyone's like, well, she can naturally make 115 now in a way she couldn't before. Fine. But even then, I don't think she, you could not call her, like, big for the weight class. Very, very strong for the weight class. Now, this camp could be different. We'll have to see how things go. But, you know, I do think that she is outgunned, so to speak, in that way. She is going to have to, me, yes, have the physicality necessary to defend herself in all the various ways in which that would be significant. But to me, the thing that matters is speed, footwork, agility, in, inside, outside movement, angles, 
really landing, not getting hit, getting out of the way, resetting in the center, that kind of a thing. Any kind of close quarters action, I, I have a hard time seeing how she can not get like totally get her ass kicked, but like how she would turn the corner in that way, get get use wow. that to level up, so to speak. I just feel like she's at a major disadvantage. Luke, uh, Luke saying to, and subliminally to the fans, bet, bet big on Brazil and bet it right now. But Luke, the karate hate, uh, healthy this time. That's been a big part of it. And she caught up with the correspondent of Morning Combat. You may know him as the Prince of Persia. Really one of my favorite French-Canadian-born journalists in the game today. Shaquille Majori. Here's Michelle Watterson talking about the comeback trail into this fight. It did suck. It's heartbreaking. In fight camp, there are going to be injuries that you can work through, you know, um, and there are going to be some that you can't. And, and you know, for anybody that I've ever known to be a, a real fighter will try and fight through injuries. And you never really go into a fight 100 percent. There's always going to be little bumps and bruises here and there because you can't you can't ha be in a combat sport and not take bumps and bruises. Um but this one was just, it, it, uh, it, it wasn't going away and it was getting worse. And I had to make a decision. You know, I've been fighting professionally for over 15 years now. Mm -hmm. And I, I, you know, I had to make a decision. Am I going to wreck my body and, you know, let my, the last couple of my fights um, take a toll on that because, because I want to fight on a certain date or am I going to let my body heal and come out guns a blazing and, and do what I want to. Luke, of course, uh, that's in reference to her pulling out of the March fight that was scheduled against Amanda Hebas due an undisclosed injury, but she seems back now. Uh, we know about her, you know, maybe she didn't reach that full star potential, but we love her and she's fought everybody there is Luke across the board. And, you know, with that comes with dealing some of the baggage of the sport. So we said, look, with a loss here, maybe this is the last time we see her in this type of fight with the potential to make a move up the rankings into title potential. Doesn't mean she necessarily retires, depending on how this fight goes down. Anything can happen. We'll find out. Let's let that, her tell that side of the story as Jessica I did, Luke, two weeks ago, okay? So here, we, here we're gone, evil. Here we're gone. Uh, but let's hear Michelle talking about here. She's a very veteran of this game. And I think it's important for other people on the outside to see like how much um, how much fighting does take out of a person. Uh, it is it is very all consuming. It is not just you know it, it is not just something that you can pick up and put down. It's not like a a, a regular job where you can come home and kind of you know blow off some steam, crack open a beer, and and forget about your job. It follows you. It's like your shadow. You know, even if you want to stop thinking about it, if you're not working out, if you're not training, if you're not improving and evolving, getting better, somebody else is. And not just to not just to take away your money, but to beat your ass, you know. <laughs> so it's like it, it follows you. And um, after, you know, after, you know, 15 years, two decades, it can be taxing on your body, your mind, your spirit. Yeah, uh, this is a brutal fight game. Yeah, if you want more on that, check out Shaq MM, Shaq's MMA channel on YouTube. I believe it's called S-H-A-K MMA. Uh, Luke, when she's talking like that, do you feel like she could potentially pull the ultimate power move? Let's say she pulls off an upset feel-good win and then walk away right there on her own terms. Luke. No, no. If she wins, she's going to keep going. But on the other hand, 
Like a lot of the people she's been training with at Jackson Wink for a long I mean, I'm not sure exactly what her affiliation is anymore, but um, you know, a lot of her contemporaries for a time, you know, they are calling it quits. You know, Cerrone calling it quits. There's a lot of people of that generation who fought in the aughts a little bit or post aughts into the teens who are now getting out of the fight game. 36 is not young. It's not super. It's still, you can do some stuff with it for sure. But, um, you know, if you can't beat Amanda Lemos, and again, this is a 10 versus 11, now you drop out of the top 10. And we talked about it on Wednesday. She's, you know, the ones she's lost to have been champions and like very, very good fighters. Fair enough. Like, okay, they're really great. But this is a step down from that. What happens then? Uh, we're going to find out. Luke, if someday, you know, let's say she walks away from the sport and journalists reach out to you, you know, radio hosts are like, Luke Thomas, what is the essence, the legacy of Waterson. I don't want you to answer that question, but how high up in the top 10 would that level up video she had with Holly Holm on Instagram that time that went fire? What, how high does that factor into your list? I don't even know which one you're talking about. All right, thank you. We'll keep going. We'll, we'll move on. Uh, Luke, to close there, uh, shout out to Shaq <laughs> MMA. You got a chance to meet our colleague in person. Does he come off less cool or more cool because you found out that he regularly attends like EDM festivals and full cosplay? Oh, I didn't know he did that, did he? Yeah, yeah, he does. And that's his personal choice. You know, we love that guy, but uh, all right. Yeah. Well, there listen, we I mean, here's the thing I always say about it. Do I think that's cool? No, I definitely don't. But the reality is I don't have a fucking idea what's cool. So Yeah, yeah. you're like, I've had like... COVID for 10 days and I'm a piece of shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what's, what's cooler than that, right? You know what I mean? <laughs> If being like, a all piece these things, of people, shit is people cool. are like, people are like, oh, is that? What do you think about this? What do you think about that? I'm like, dude, I'm, I, cool left me a long time ago. Like, I don't fucking know. So if it makes you happy, go ahead, man. Uh, look, let's keep it going here. If I asked you which UFC welterweight is currently 38 years old and riding a five-fight win streak, would you have the answer for me? A welterweight, 38 years old on a five-fight win streak. No, not offhand. Hey, how about Muslim Salikov entering this uh, wow. matchup with the Leech, Luke? He is a minus 165 favorite against a Jian Long who's fresh off that law, the destructive loss to Hamzat Chemaev. Luke, is this going to be a sneaky great fight here or what? They, there's a, they got a lot to fight for now. It could be. It's just an issue of to what extent Salikov, I think, could fight off close quarters or the takedown. At range, you know, Salikov is very precise, careful. Doesn't have a ton of volume, but, you know, is obviously very, very gifted. Uh, you know, Li Zhang Lang has skills, to be clear, but is a little bit more of a wild man, you know, I feel like in that way. So it's really like, what does the fight look like? Does it look chaotic and blah, blah, blah? Or does it look more like what a Muslim Salikov fight might look like? Depending on the complexion, will tell you who's kind of defining it. I tend to think Salikov should get it done. But it's an interesting question, just the same. Yeah, I think I'm excited about it, Luke. I'm going to be looking forward to this one, but not nearly as excited I am about Shane Burgos, Charles Air Jordan in this featherweight yeah. division. We laid out the storyline. Jordan can make a hell of a leap. Burgos can put it all on the tracks and and re you know reestablish himself here. We think we're going to get a lot of action, or at least I do. You may have differed from me on that. Who are you leading toward? Who are you edging? Because Burgos, like I said, minus 165 favorite over the plus 140 Jordan. Who wins and why, Luke? Because I'm going to be tied into this one. Tie me I up, Luke. Burgos is, uh, this is a, I think the last fight on his contract, uh, if I'm not mistaken. So high stakes for him. Very high stakes for him. Dude, listen to these numbers. 
Now, here's the bad news for Shane Burgos. He absorbs 6.7 strikes per minute. Dude, that is insanely fucking high. That is really, really high. Here's the good news for Shane Burgos. He lands about eight, which is about like double of what a ranked fighter lands in any weight class on average in the UFC. I mean, my man is out there dealing, right? Jordan, who, uh, by the way, has a high rate of 5.6 in terms of landing, absorbs at 4.5. So they both got positive differentials, although slightly more measured. Burgos slightly more uh, willing to take damage to dish it out. Burgos, here's the thing for me, 91% takedown defense. My man has good takedown defense. For that reason, for that reason, I, I might lean a little bit towards Burgos here. I think Jordan is coming into his own and probably is a little bit more offensively well-rounded. He has a little bit more weapons in a few different ways that either Burgo has and doesn't use or just doesn't really have that much. Like there's just not it's not clear what the story is there because he just kind of fights sort of the way he fights, you know, one way in the boxing range. But I I I I don't know, man. I he's battle-tested. He's fought very good guys. I think he's fought better guys in fact than uh Charles Jordan. So I'm going to lean ever so slightly towards Burgos, but I recognize that the Jordan we saw maybe, you know, in his early UFC part of his run three fights ago, whatever, against like Julian Arosa, he's a different guy now, it seems like. I'm, I'm curious to see how this one goes, but I think Burgos got a little bit more in the tank for him in terms of offensive firepower. The thing I love about Burgos, and I always will, and that's why I love that fight with Emmett so much, is, I mean, a lot of fighters go after it. A lot of fighters are wild and reckless, some because they only know that way, some because they have to to fight at this level, but... You know, here's a guy who can fight at the elite level, but Luke, when it's time to go, man, he goes. I mean, he le- he goes after it. He leaves no, you know, no nothing to chance and lets those hands go. And maybe those tattoos on his shoulders look a little bit like prime Mike Mark McGrath of Sugar Ray, but I'm okay with that in the end. But Luke, I think Air Jordan is coming on, and it's not going to be easy. And this fight could very well steal the entire show. I get what you had said on Wednesday about this. You know, does does, does Jordan want to get into a war with this guy on equal terms? No, right? Probably not. But can he be the fresher guy of the moment and make a victory here? This would be the best of this run that he's on, Luke, and um, I'm backing him. I'm backing him right now. This is going to look like Air Dan against the Cavs, right? Game 5 of that uh, 89 first-round series, you know? He's going to turn uh, Shane Burgos into Craig Elo. Hey, Craig Elo had his day in the sun. Folks forget about it. Remember the Elo shoes that came out briefly? I forget no, who made them. I don't remember those at all. Are you making those up? No, those, those were real. Craig Elo had his own shoes for a little while. Um, God, who made those? I'd have to look it up. But I don't, Dude, I'm seriously doubting this. Yeah, I, you know me. I'm a 90s NBA, like, ha, hardcore, Luke, okay? Not softcore. Nothing soft about this core. Am I, am I completely making it up? I, I'm, yeah, I'm, you're I'm thinking of Patrick Ewing, Luke. Patrick Ewing had those weird shoes for a bit. The Ewing had the shoes. Yeah, you know what? I might be wrong about that. I might be wrong about okay, that. Okay, but have to, to be that, that wrong on Craig Elo? Like, I get you could be like, oh, wait, Dude, I could have sworn was there was it a David kid- Robinson or was it Olajuwon or was it Ewing? You're like, no, fucking no, 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 Craig no, no. Elo had thing. his own shoe. No, 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 here's the thing. I, I distinctly remember there was a kid in seventh grade. I was in, what school did I go to? Nashville Middle School in Nashville, Georgia, who, uh, who was a huge Craig Elo guy <laughs> of like all things to be. And he had shoes that said Elo on them. Yeah, did he make those motherfuckers? Yeah, he did. Look, he's, he probably bought uh, Avias at the freaking uh, local shoe store, right? And then wrote Elo on the side. Yeah, that guy's a, that guy sucks. From where? Did, what did he turn out to be? From Nash? From Nashville, Georgia, Luke. Where is this guy today? 
Oh, he's probably in prison or, you know, in that's the ditch somewhere. Yeah, that's what, I, that's what I'm talking about. Hey, Luke, have you ever been to the uh, Georgia Guidestones by any chance? The uh, Stonehenge of the South? Uh, no, Georgia. Dude, you know my few, uh, Like, I left there and was like, I don't think I'm coming back. All right. You ever, you I ever saw Stone Mountain. I've seen. I've been, I've been to Stone Mountain. Yeah, Jake whatever. the Snake Roberts is from there. I'll look up the Georgia Guide. So there's some weird shit going on there, Luke. Okay, one day we'll find out the answers. All right. Uh, Luke, Lauren Murphy, and Misha Tate. Uh, yeah, there's a lot at stake here, potentially. One of them's 38 and one of them's 35. Uh, who's who in the ages, Luke? Tell me. Uh, Murphy's 38 and Tate's 35. Correct? Okay, you nailed that. You nailed that. Uh, uh that won't seem to factor in here. Murphy, I thought she had had a comeback fight and won it since the Shevchenko fight, so dead wrong me for that. This is her first appearance since then, Luke. This fight was, you know, delayed once, but now we have it. Luke, style-wise, I got some concerns for Tate in this matchup, despite her being a minus 205 favorite to the plus 175 Alaskan. Um, what do you need to see from Misha Tate's game in this revamped version to get the nod here? Takedowns, you know, before, you know, she's gone through multiple nicknames. Cupcake was one. Takedown was one. Well, it was takedown and, until the first Ronda fight, Luke, if you want to be historically correct, right? Yeah, but the point being is she had, that was one of the, there was a couple of reasons why the fight with Ronda, the first one was interesting and they were rivals, but there was a question of like, because judo still has something of a fraught relationship with MMA. There was a question of like how much would Tate's wrestling play a role relative? Because I think you remember Tate had fought Marlus Kunin, I think, right before that or around that time, and her wrestling was dominant, you know. And so she had a, a reputation for it. It didn't matter so much against Ronda necessarily, but it's to me the key to her game. Like you know, and, and it's not just wrestling, by the way. Obviously, you look at the Holly Holm fight where she couldn't get the takedown, then got it, then found the back, then choked her out in the fifth, like this dramatic comeback. It's the combination of the two, but just striking on the feet. You know, especially in her last loss to Kitlin Vieira, like Tate looked kind of slow and overwhelmed in that department. But in the wrestling, you would imagine she can keep it pretty competitive. She lands about two takedowns per 15 minutes, so not quite one around, but pretty close. The problem is her takedown accuracy is 31%, Lauren Murphy's 65% takedown defensive rate. You would think there might be some vulnerability there. I actually think Lauren Murphy has more ways to win this one. I'm going to lean towards Lauren Murphy, to be honest with you. Um, I have not, you know, it's, listen... Tate had a long break from MMA, and it's going to take some time to kind of really get her feet back under her. Maybe this is the performance where that happens, and she's had some coaching changes, and then she's gone back and forth. You know, I talked to uh, Eric Nixick. I think she's fully – she was always with Extreme Couture, but she had, like, a different coach inside of it. Now she's, like, sort of back in the more regular Extreme Couture program, as I understand it. Um, she's going to be ready. You know, she's going to be in shape. She's going to have a good game plan. They always do. But I haven't quite seen the same physical – she had a real physicality to some of the early runs she had at bantamweight post-Ronda, but in the UFC when she was even champion, for example. Since her departure and coming back, I've not seen the same evidence of that. It's been a little bit of a departure. Lauren Murphy never took time off. Now, Lauren Murphy, I don't know if she's exactly the same pure athlete that Tate is at her peak, but dude, Lauren Murphy is a very good fighter and is well-rounded and very battle-tested, and I like a lot of what she has to offer. This is at 125, obviously, so we're going to see how much the cut affects Tate and what that does to her cardio late. And even when she was able to dominate Kat Zingano, or at least Zingano came back and like demolished her in, uh, you know, in, in, in an epic fight, I, I, I like Lauren Murphy. I, th I think very highly of her. Granted, you're right, 38, not a great place to be necessarily athletically, but um, for me, there's a lot more questions about Tate at 35 than there are yeah. at Murphy at 38. 
I think Tate has the potential to have some success here take, with takedowns, but Luke, I, I, offensively I, is really my biggest question. Can she hurt and finish somebody in a big fight? You have the questions about the weight. You have the questions about a lot of things here. I think there's too many reasons to like the underdog, Lauren Murphy. And, you know, Luke, would, would the odds change in a WWE swerve scenario in which Brian Caraway became Murphy's trainer and drove the stolen ATV right to the edge of the cage? Maybe. But that didn't happen, Luke. So uh, take getting the uh, minus odds here, but I do think she has the larger hill to overcome. I like Murphy by decision here. I'm very interested in this fight. The stakes are huge. There's no question about that, obviously, for Tate to try to make that leap to Shevchenko, given her star value, given her name. But it's going to be uh, – she's going to have to press on the gas. She's going to have to do some stuff, Luke. We're going to see. We're going to see if she can. Uh, we talked up huge this Bantamweight prelim bout. It's a featured one, plus 140 Ricky Simone against a minus 165 Jack Shore, who is uh, Shore coming the hell on, Luke. Who gets their hand raised? Because I I'm pretty sure who's going to win this. The thing is this. Jack Shore has so many skills and is so well-rounded and is just a phenomenal talent. But Ricky Simone, you know, he's a fucking freight train, dude. He's a freight train. I don't know that he has all the same skills as Jack Shore. I think Jack Shore has more skills. But Ricky Simone, as we mentioned, is the only guy who I thought could match Marab Dewalishvili's cardio or at least get pretty close, you know. Maybe Marab is a little bit ahead, but Ricky's right there in that same kind of heavily weaponized cardio kind of world that he occupies. Um, and, you know, he can do a lot, too, to be clear. It's not like he's some, you know, it's all he's got. I don't mean to suggest that. I, I, they've got Shore at about a minus 165, so he's a slight favorite. I, you know, I always say skills win fights. The key for Jack Shore is, dude, he's got to find a way to create separation. As long as Ricky Simone is either attached to him or on top of him or some kind of way where he is connected to him, it's going to be hard for Jack Shore to, like, do the things that Jack Shore can do. So, I, you know, a, a small little bet on Ricky Simone for folks out there might be a decent play given that he's the underdog, even if I grant that Jack Shore is more overall well-rounded and certainly the, maybe the future of this division in ways that other folks are not. It's a tough call. That's a really great fight, man. That's a really, I can't wait really for tough it. one. And I've been told after questioning it the other day that Simone is now going full on party in the back, Luke. Business in the front. Business in the front. Uh, so shout out to him for that. But uh, bet Welsh here. Bet Welsh, I'm telling you, Luke. So we'll see. <laughs> we'll see where it goes. I mean, what the hell do I know? I'm, you know, just whatever. Uh, Luke, we also, you mentioned quickly that, that opener, the, the curtain jerker is a good one. Jessica Penne here against a debuting Emily Ducati, fresh off her Invicta title run. She also fought for the inaugural Bellator uh, straw, sorry, uh, flyweight championship, losing to Alima Leigh McFarlane a few years back. Um, can she be a, a player here with a win? Yeah, I think she could. I mean, it took her a, a, a while to get to the UFC and to fully develop her game. She's been with Bellator. I wish she was with Bellator a long time ago. And, you know, she had flashes of brilliance then. Even then, I think she's changed her nickname. Like, she had a different one at the time when she was finally there. I don't really see her use much anymore. Um, so, But this version now is much more well-rounded, much more complete, much and really leaned into her physicality as well, which is something that was kind of missing. Jessica Penny, you know, I, I thought I had high hopes for her when she went to the UFC, and she's kind of been up, she's kind of been down, injuries, the whole issue with USADA from the stuff she was taking that was the doctors agreed was totally, you know, well within the um, scope of normal medicine. It, it just didn't really pan out for her. We'll see. This is, a, this is actually a, t a very winnable fight in either direction. To me, it's just going to be, I don't know what Jessica Penny has left, man. At her best, she has been great. Um, 
But where is she now? I don't really know. I guess we're going to find out. I don't really know. Yeah, I'm with you. Will she follow Yo Yo Young Yo- 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 Jacek into the walk, Luke? Right? It's possible. It's possible. Yeah. yeah. All right, Luke. Uh, you know, Puna's back on that card. Soriano and the featured prelim. There's there's a lot of, you know, there's some good stuff there, Luke. It's a pretty, I mean, it's a pretty badass card for, for an ABC showcase like this. I'm fine. Certainly, up. you know, the whole card has tons of little, I mean, also the guy with the best traps in MMA, Dalka Lugiambula. Oh, He's yeah. on this card, and, uh, as you mentioned, against Soriano. That should be, by the way, I think former teammates there, too. All right. Uh, D- William Buga has lost two or three coming in, Luke, so we'll see how it goes here. Uh, Luke, topic number two is the biggest uh, boxing matchup of the weekend, Luke. I don't know if Crypto's here to stay, but Crypto.com Arena, the former Staples Center in L.A., is the host. Ryan Garcia is back. We saw him make the well hyped, talked about, questioned comeback from so many things against Emmanuel to go. Went the distance, mostly good. Didn't learn a whole lot, though, given the level of competition. Now we got a dangerous former champion in Javier Fortuna. A plus 650 underdog, Rye Guy, minus 1,200. Now, Luke, at its core, though, that's pretty ridiculous odds. By, by no means does this not represent the true potential of how close this fight can be. And, you know, not just from the standpoint of Garcia's got a lot of questions to answer still about his, you know, punch resistance, you know, all of that. I mean, look, he had had a very serious, you know, mental health setback, which, which, you know, he had a wrist surgery. There's a lot there that come into that last fight really needed answered. And now with the second fight with new trainer Joe Goosen, he's going to have that chance to answer all these questions. Fortuna's a southpaw, Luke. Dominican Republic uh, based. Good counterpuncher. Lost three times, but, you know, various degrees of good and bad in those losses. How live is he a dog if Ryan Garcia doesn't show any implosion tendencies in this fight? Maybe you're not, maybe it's not the best Ryan Garcia ever, but as long as there's not going to be Ryan Garcia self-enforced errors as a, as a potential here, can Fortuna still win? Yeah. <sighs> I think it would take Ryan Garcia looking very average and unmotivated for Fortuna to win. For Fortuna to win rounds or, you know, catch Ryan a couple times, sure. Yes, that I could see. I could definitely see him keeping I can see him keeping Ryan Garcia honest. That I can see and taking advantage of this new style where he's like really walking into guys. And again, some of the way he fought to go, and I think you would agree with this BC was the fact that he was fighting to go and he's not fighting Fortuna or Lopez or something like that where he was just taking all kinds of risks that he won't necessarily take. Fair enough. I still did not think that was a very impressive performance even though the the, the, the scorecards obviously had him winning a wide decision, no problem. So, So my view is this. If Ryan is a little bit more careful and can still have that trademark speed, hand speed, accuracy, he should win. The question is how comfortably... That part I can't quite get because you know, uh, who's it? The who did he drop at the body shot? Campbell, Luke Campbell. Yeah, Luke Campbell. So you know you can see him and having an ability to do that. Obviously, that was pre Goosen or whatever. But you know you can see him. There's that same left hook to the body he dropped Campbell with right there on the picture. You know those kinds of those kinds of things are still in play. It's just I think Fortuna is going to make him honest, and I don't know exactly what Ryan's got to overcome that. That part to me with this new whole setup he's got, Yeah, I don't know what to make of that. Maybe you do. No, I don't because, because again, to go proved in the end that he just wasn't on the level 
to have a shot at, at you know, hitting that spot on the Death Star, as I like to say, against Ryguy. It, it was a disappointing entertainment, you know, setup in the end after we got excited about this return here. Not against the opponent we wanted, but whatever. This is obviously a step up from that. I established on Wednesday that Fortuna is of the ilk that he could win this fight, without question. He's been a guy who's been close to the top a few times, won a world title before. But he's also was stopped by Jason Sosa, right? He also, like, you know, lose to guys where you're like, okay, I get that. But has never really pulled through. You know, beat Jesus Quasar. has got some good wins. Has never really pulled through and had a great win. Mm -hmm. He's 33. The one thing, even though we didn't get the questions answered about how does Ryan Garcia and Joe Goosen gel together, is we know Joe Goosen's one of the best offensive coaches of the modern era in boxing. So, Ragai, a great offensive fighter. I think if we learned anything, you're going to see a continuation of that. Goosen's going to have this guy committing more to dangerous, you know, big-time combinations that can get you out of there. I, I, got, I got more questions in this matchup coming back about how much Fortuna can be stingy enough to, like you said, not just have a couple rounds or a moment, but go over the top and win that fight. If he can't get it by a knockout because Garcia implodes, I don't know if he's going to be able to throw enough punches and stay on this level because, you know, the thing you love about Garcia, which is also in the end going to be the, the factor that will, you know, lead to his demise, because it will. He's a gunslinger, straight up. The, the commitment to offense is more than it is to defense and game planning. He's plus in those skills. He likes to live on the edge in terms of his fighting style. It's going to be like that, and it's going to be really fun to watch. He's also going to get tagged. He's also going to get lit up. But he's overwhelming, Luke. I, I could see Fortuna getting caught in that overwhelmingness and having trouble putting together stretches of big-time punches. As long as Ryguy is continually moving forward here, this could end up being a good showcase. Not a second-round knockout, not a blow-away. But you'd love if Fortuna, at the very least, can push this to the second half of the fight. If it's not outright him, you know, on the verge of pulling an upset, which let's not act like this is not possible, it is. But I'm going to give Ryan Garcia some benefit of the doubt here of the questions we do have. God, is he good offensively, Luke. And I really trust Goosen. Again, even though he's an offensive coach and you're like, you're throwing a somewhat reckless offensive fighter into an offensive coach's hands. He's a responsible coach, though. Um... This could be a good night at the office for Ragai. So, you know, do I like the minus 1,200 odds if you're if you're back in my opinion here? No, that's not a good bet. But uh, the Ryan Garcia show is going to have to get through pretty clearly tests like this to try to enter that Tank Davis conversation in sweepstakes or to try to take on his former amateur rival, Devin Haney, who now has all four recognized titles at this weight class. So I think he gets it done here, Luke. But, but... Dude, I think Ryan Garcia is going to be one of those guys that it's going to be theater every single fight, no matter where he's at in his career or the circumstances, because for him to be that much of a firecracker, he's got to go very close to the fire very often. I said it on Wednesday. It's worth repeating one more time. I actually like this fight for Ryan Garcia, not because I think he's going to win. I mean, I do. But again, like he had a bit of a reset moment in his whole entire life. Depression, injury, coaching, training. Uh, you know, he stayed with Golden Boy and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, there's been a, there was a, just a shitload in his life. He had to kind of hit the pause button on and then find a new center. Like, you can't just do that all at once unless you're incredibly special. And most guys, you know, even the very elite ones aren't like that. So this is a the appropriate next step. The only challenge for Ryan Garcia is, dude, you can, you can win this probably no problem. You better not look pedestrian. That's the issue. You better not look, 
you know, like you kind of eked one out, 115, 113 type bullshit. Like you need to go in there and this is a chance, like it's the next right step in this new path and it should be more than just winnable. It should be, you know, you should look good. Well, he doesn't have to finish him, but he better look good. Against To Go, it was so obvious he was better that he sort of looked good by default. I would rather him not look good by default here. I would like him to look good by application. That's kind of yeah. what I'm looking for. Uh, Luke, I got, I got a lot of fears that we're not going to be able to make cross-network uh, super fights for a while with Ryan Garcia because, you know, he's with, with Golden Boy losing Canelo, right? Golden Boy has other fighters, right? I mean, they got Virgil Ortiz who could end up being a star, I mean, a freaking star at welterweight. But Ry Guy's their new meal ticket. There's no question. You know, his presence on the zone means so much. And, you know, we've seen Steven Espinosa, even of Showtime, go on the record in a boxing scene story saying, right now, when I look at it to try to make Tank versus Ryan Garcia, you know, I don't think we need the zone. What do they bring to the table? You know, I don't know. You know, now that Haney's with ESPN, you know, they had that window at DAZN to make Ryan Garcia versus Haney, the built-in backstory of them as amateur rivals fight, fighting six or eight times, and it never happened. Now Haney's with ESPN. Um, I hope Ryan Garcia can hold out on taking that first L long enough to at least see him against one of those superstars, right, at a point when it really matters. And it's not like, Luke, you can't take one loss and, and come back. I mean, that's not what I'm saying, but... There is something to him being fueled by his invincibility. And I don't, I just, right now, as I look at the politics, even with the great advancements we've had in boxing, it may end up being hard to make some super fights with this guy. It's just what it is, what it is, Luke. He means too much to that side of the fence. And if everyone, you know, people have to want to work with him, and the fight's got to be big enough, too, though, right? Right. When you be, when you, when you represent what Ryan Garcia represents for Golden Boy and his own, it's not just a fighter or even a very important fighter, it's something of an institution. And we all know what institutions mean in sports. They're designed to be preserved. So are they really going to risk things for potential benefit? I, uh, in some ways they might, but you can see how that's going to be, a like, even more than usual, a very calculated decision on their parts because getting that wrong could be cataclysmic. So and, and also, I think you're if, right. if he starts getting victories in which he's getting knocked down again, like the Luke Campbell one, which we don't know yet. We don't know. We got to see him against punchers. We got to see him in these type of fights. Um, then, you know, there's also the potential that matchmaking-wise they try to keep him away from these type of fights. So we'll see how it plays out. If you want more on this topic, Brent Brookhouse, our colleague at CBS Sports, has a, has a, a good feature this week about, hey, man, we all want Garcia Tank, but... Is it happening soon? We'll have to wait and see right there. Luke, topic number three. Look, this kind of spilled out. You know, we played that video and Wednesday show on Have You Seen the Shit? With the delayed Have You Seen the Shit? Of Dana White giving a $250,000 birthday gift to a member of the Nelk Boys, friends of his son. And, you know, Luke, there's been a lot of fighter fallout from that. I mentioned Louis Smolka going, going ham, not with the UFC anymore, but being very blunt on Twitter trying to organize the union, saying, like, guys, you know, we're going to do this or what? You know, just kind of answering fan uh, questions open and honest. And then this story from Bloody Elbows, Tim Bissell, which isn't necessarily overall new information per se, Luke, but it's some new sprinkles on top. The headline, UFC paying lobbyists big money as Senate closes on bill that could affect fighters' employee status. So, Luke... I want you to kind of, because you're much smarter than me. You're a DC guy. You get politics. You used to work in politics, for crap's sake. But according to this story, most recently the UFC lobbying 
giving money upwards of $240,000 to spend on the Right to Organize Act of 2021, which, if things play out a certain way, would further take away UFC's own athletes' rights to become employee status and get benefits and be able to unionize. Is, explain this in a layman's way that, that either says that that's what's happening here or how does this affect the larger fighter pay issues that is just a headline that's dominating this sport? Two bills on either side of, uh, the, of Congress. This is how it often works where the House will have legislation and the Senate will have accompanying legis legislation. Um, and oftentimes, if the law eventually ever gets sent to the president, there's usually an accommodation met in the middle where they can work out the language to iron out any differences. There's a lot of processes by which that can happen. So we're talking about H.R. 842, which would be in, in the House, and then S.420, which would be in the Senate. Um, basically, what these would do if passed, and again, you understand something, like there's going to be, if it ever, first of all, it has to get out of committee, and then it gets out of committee. There's all different kinds of markups that could happen to change it, add things. There's a lot of ways this could totally just completely fail. And in fact, I don't expect either of these to really to matter in the end, to be honest with you, uh, in part because while both of the pieces of legislation were introduced by the Democrats, the Democratic Party is, you know, <laughs> they're not very capable uh, stewards of government. Let's just be honest about that. But the point being is this. If the laws got passed, if those bills were turned into law, let's say today, right? They got signed overnight or something like that. What they would essentially do is make it a little bit easier for folks to unionize or be free from pressure from employers trying to stop them, or they could become employees more easily and they could become independent contractors. It would just make those situations better for the folks who could be affected. Now, there would be ways in which it would apply and ways in which it wouldn't, but it would, it would, one of them, the things that it would do would it would add an amendment to the National Labor Relations Act. And one of the things it would say is that any individual performing any service shall be considered an employee and not an independent contractor unless, A, the individual is free from control and direction in connection with the performance of the, of the service, both under the contract of the performance of service and in fact. And what you can sort of take from that is you look at the heavy-handed ways in which the UFC has to, uh, controls how that conduct is performed, right? They make them wear the uniforms, they make them do media, they make them show up with all of these different policies and everything else, right? If you're under this sort of strict control, that would then tip the scales in favor of potentially making you an employee and not an independent contractor. Now, even with that, there would have to be a process by which that would be reevaluated and then changed. Like this would be, a, this is very speculative in that way, but the UFC has a keen eye for these kinds of things and has gotten out in front of it. And so, they have hired a lobbying firm, a very, 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 very prestigious one, by the way, uh, Brownstein, Hyatt, uh, Farber, and Shrek LLP, one of the bigger ones in the city. Uh, and what they're going to be basically trying to do is either keep this in committee, never let it get a vote on the floor, even if it goes to floor, have some kind of markup, change it. I mean, they're, they're going to try and do whatever they can um, through a lot through a you know a registered lobbying effort to stop it. I, the, the the basic point here that the folks need to understand is there's legislation potentially pending that can make it easier for independent independent contractors to become employees and for people who are uh, trying to unionize to more easily do that. That's really what this comes down to. Dude, but this is that, grimy as shit, Luke. Yeah, well, th dude, this is this is like the the uh, for an example. Here's something that folks should consider. The UFC had been lobbying the state of Florida to get purses no longer made public as early as 2014. It didn't work in that time, but in 2021, it in fact did. And folks may not remember, how did this happen? 
They convinced the commission to agree that it was a trade secret, that the pay that they were putting out was a trade secret that deserved protection for anti-competitive, or for, I should say, for competitive purposes, which is about the most ludicrous fucking thing I've ever heard in my life. I mean, anyone with half a brain cell realizes that is the flimsiest logic ever. It has nothing to do with the logic. It just has to do with power. The big takeaway that folks should understand is not that the UFC is doing anything illegal. This is all quite above board. They're registering it. You can see all the disclosure forms. It's all legal. Like, this is not in any kind of underhanded thing in that way. But when I hear fighters get out there and then defend fighter pay, it blows my fucking mind because what they are doing behind the scenes are taking acts by virtue of their power and their connections to government and the ways in which they can influence it to make purses not go public, to find ways to not allow expansion of rights of independent contractors, to make it harder, in fact, to unionize. And then the fighters turn around and invent some kind of logic that's like, oh, no, the UFC's actually done this right. Dude, how is it possible that the caged birds are singing the songs of their captors? It's, so, it's, 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 it's unfathomable that they would do these things, but they do. Well, it is because of what I always talked about, the have and the have-nots, the 1%. They make it, they set up the structure so that you blood, you shed blood, tears, you know, in your life to get to that 1%. And then when you do, you're like, why am I going to rock the boat? That's one. But two, you know, Louis Smolka and his many responses uh, on Twitter to questions and fans trying to rip him. I mean, fans are caught up in this sort of uh, same Stockholm syndrome as well, Luke, who just attack these fighters if they do go public with it. Like, you're like, what? But what he said was, okay, if I go public with it at any point, then they're going to make me wait, you know, 11 months and, and nine-tenths of the maximum that they can before then offering me the hardest fight in the division and saying we offered it to you, and then you'll get blackballed and put back. And that is the control in this non-Ali Act era that, you know, UFC has. And that's why guys like Smolka are saying, okay, fighter pay and all, but let's, we should be really organizing and fighting against the Ali Act, which we've talked about a lot, or fighting for the Ali Act, excuse me. But look, in, in the most layman terms possible for people like me and, you know, people that come from factory towns, is this as simple as saying the UFC is criticized constantly for not paying enough, is investing money government legislatively to ensure long-term that they won't have to pay more and yes. to make further complicate the chain of, you know, of necessary timeline of events that would need to happen if fighters ever did get it together. Dude, this is not only some yes. like Vince McMahon, not only this is grimy as fuck, it's not only some Vince McMahon playbook shit on how to treat independent contractors, right, and not actually make them employees, but, Luke, isn't this the history of the Fertitta brothers and Station Casinos and a big part, if not the exact reason why UFC wasn't um, made legal in the state of New York until 2016, right? I know I'm, Sheldon Silver's got got other skeletons in the closet, RIP, yeah. and got handled for it. But wasn't the crux of that him rallying, uh, uh, ra you know, ra railing against the Fertitta brothers owner of the Station Casino for not unionizing? And, Luke, you do a little research, April of this year, Red Rock Casino and Station Casinos uh, lost a bid, uh, you know, in a federal uh, case that that basically federal, the Fed said no longer can you tell your employees that if you unionize, you're out of the family and you lose your job. Like there's right. like just the most like, I mean, this is the, the blueprint and the model of how the UFC right. was built. I mean, Lorenzo was on the Nevada Athletic Commission board before the before the, the company, you know, Zufa bought. I mean, it's like it, they're all connected there. You're right. I don't know how any fan or fighter, unless you're a fan who's straight up saying, 
I want the control UFC has because the fights are better. Yeah, they are better, right? You you make people fight for their lives desperately for 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 a paycheck. Yeah, you're going to get better fights. And I and I and I do want to always put out there as we always do that for the fighters to get what we deserve, you're going to have to sprinkle a little of that boxing bullshit into this. Dude, but how about damn, how about how about this? How about damn, this? Luke, do they deserve it? They Dude, all how about, deserve it. Yeah, listen to this. How about this? Uh, Stacy Alonso was pointed to the Nevada State Athletic Commission in 2017 as a commissioner while she worked for the Fertitta-owned station casinos and then spoke at the February Senate Judiciary hearing in Nevada in favor of legislation, not just for this, it was actually wider about it was about transparency, but the fighter purses were included in it as a consequence. She spoke out on the commission while working for station casinos in favor of legislation that would not force the Nevada commission to disclose fighter purses. Guys, this is what I mean when fighters go out and they're like defending fighter pay. What the fuck are you thinking? What are you thinking? Because I can assure you that the UFC, who is dialed into all the legislation federally and in individual states that could at all affect their ability to keep their core business what it is, they're not playing that game with you. They are doing everything they can to safeguard their future according to their vision. And by the way, all of this is, again, I'm going to repeat it, quite legal. This is all above board. It's just what this is what this is why I cannot even I can't wrap my head around the idea that they would support their own inability to make meaningful advancements by virtue of supporting the very people who are lobbying government to make it harder for their own advancements. It is it is truly, 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 truly mind fucking boggling. Wow. That is no. what I just don't. And this is not new. This will continue, by the way. And whenever any other piece of legislation comes up in whatever state, in whatever place, this is what they will do because this is what they've been doing. This is not yeah. new. They've this, they didn't start lobbying in 2021. They've been lobbying or you know, hiring lobbyists, I should say, registered lobbyists for a long time. It's all above board. It's all legal. But the rich and the powerful pull the levers of what controls all of these things. And to hear fighters say, well, I totally agree with it. I I don't know what planet they're living on that that makes sense because it is not this one. Look, they need to get educated. We have no grudge against the UFC or want all these bad things to happen. I just want these fighters that we make a living because they do what they do in that cage, right? Watch our Josh Emmett video. Remind yourself of what they go through in that cage, you know, for for... You know, what did, what did Devison, as you texted me, what did Devison Figueredo fight for before switching managers? Now he's with Team Faber, but you're in the extended team there. But uh, what did he fight for for that world title? Half of what Dana just gave the freaking Nel Nelk boy as a birthday gift. So it's like, damn, I don't know how you can stand here as a journalist and just be okay with it. I don't. And I'm looking and I don't want to sound over romantic here or whatever. And like, you know, who cares about me, right? But it does kind of it because you know at your own personal fandom and entertainment side of it, it does kind of make that really hard. When um, you know, should we live in a world where these guys can get benefits? Like you know what I'm saying? Like yeah, yeah, yeah we should live in that. I, I just want to make one the, point. The it option. Sound, it's, yeah. It's like I, I just want to say one thing. It's this is. It's going to sound like all oh, these guys want to tear down the UFC. No, who wins if we tear down the UFC? Who wins? I don't us. win. No, what? I don't win. BC doesn't win. The sport doesn't win. Nobody wins if you tear down the UFC. That's not the argument. That's not what we're trying to do. What we are asking for, though, is a little more of an equitable power-shared world, which, by the way, will not be perfect. Fighters will make more money and then spend it, and then they're still going to be destitute when they're done. There's all kinds of scenarios where that doesn't fix a lot of the problems. 
But for all the problems that boxing has, and it has a metric fucking ton of them, and a lot of the fights that you want to get, they don't get made, or they certainly don't get made on time. But it turns out that when you share power in the way that the, that industry, by the way, you, like for example, in, in, in certain states where you can't get MMA purses, you can still get boxing ones because the federal legislation requires it. The Ali Act makes it so. It turns out that when you have some of these complications and power is shared, yeah, the product is not as consumer friendly, but you weed out some of the more predatory or unfair or, un, uh, you know, I'm up here, you're down there kind of business practices by virtue of how power is shared. You have to understand the sausage is made. It, this is like, it goes back to like, people just want the simplest, easiest answer from a consumer perspective, which you understand. You understand why consumers want that. But if you take a step back and ask yourself, why do you get it so easily? There is no such thing as a free lunch. It doesn't come yeah. just by, by virtue of how this is how it works over here. It comes by virtue of the fact that the fighters don't have protections. And if you're okay with that out there, fine, you're okay with that. I'm not. I would like a more equitable world. Yeah, no, especially when you get to know these great personalities, you interview them and all that stuff. It, 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 you can't keep that conscious, you know, in that regard. Uh, the final point I'll say is, look, it is Dana White's money. The Nelk boys had already given him some stupid gift that they made a viral video. He gets, you know, what does he make, almost $30 million a year? I don't care what he makes. He deserves it. He does great at that part of his job, promoting, no question. You get great fights. It's not, he doesn't have to pay fighters out of his own money. But him being willing for these videos to be out there and be viraled and have people wanting to live that lifestyle is directly him dunking on and pissing on the graves of his own of his own athletes who who drip the sweat and blood for him to have that money. It's open and direct a fuck you. That's the problem I think you take from the whole Nelk Boys headline. Like, I don't even care. Dude, they can give each other gifts all they want. I don't give a damn. Make, make as much money as you can. Like, you know what I mean? Do it. Yeah. But you allow that to be posted and, you know, and, and you celebrate that. No, no, fuck off. You know what I mean? Like, no, 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 I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not, not no, Luke. No. Luke, if you're All asking right. me yes or no, the answer is no. No. All right. No. All right. And also, topics. like, remember, like, here's the thing. Also, this is why the UFC is smart about it. They maintain connections on both sides of the political aisle. Like, they were very close with the late Henniter Sari Reid, a known Democrat, they have good relationships with Donald Trump, obviously a, a Republican. Um, I don't know how good their relationship is with like Biden or something like that. But in general, they definitely try to like give to both parties whoever would be most beneficial to their interests. Like they're going to take, listen, UFC is going to take care of their interests. Don't you worry about that. They're going to protect their interests, but they're not going to protect someone's interests who aren't theirs. Yeah. And the fighters in the UFC have some overlapping interests. That's true. But they have some non-overlapping interests. Who's taking care of the fighters there? Nobody. Nobody, Nobody. is, including Nobody. the fighters themselves. Yeah. All right. Topic four involves more fighters, Luke. Uh, the PFL announcing their playoff cards, seeds, dates, locations, and all that. Luke, uh, we go to Cardiff, Wales for the next card. I don't have a date in front of me. Crap. I didn't prepare properly. Uh, Roy McDonald, Magomed Umalatov in the main event there. Dennis Goitsov against a Bruno Capeloza, who can use a big comeback win here. The guy who would beat Rory, Sadabu Sai, is going to take on Carlos C. Leal. C. Leal. I mean, I'm just, but you know, I'll just butcher this shit left and right. Luke, they also <laughs> announced the London card, headlined by Kayla Harrison against Martina Jindrova. 
Um, did I say Kayla wrong? I don't know, Luke. There's other Who fights knows? on that fight, too. Do you care? Do you, do you care at all, Luke? I don't think you care. Uh, Chris Wade versus Brendan Lockman's cool. By the way, the big news for, for me, we, we can talk about this card. I think it's August 13th, August 20th, the Cardiff and London cards, if memory serves. The bigger news for me was you see what they came out with today. Like, they're going to have something called PFL Europe, which is going to be like its own separate organization. They're going to recruit European fighters. The fights are going to air in primetime in Europe. You know what I mean? Like, it's going to be its whole little separate entity. And they said there's going to be more of those globally, depending on where they want to go. I don't know how likely all that is. But, um, you know, we'll see about these fights as we get a little bit closer. But, dude, PFL making moves, bro. Making moves yeah, out there. That, that, that's pretty good there. And I, I, I was kind of lost my track there with the dates. But I will be watching those. Love what the PFL's doing. This seems like a potential power move of some sorts, Luke. They're making, they seem to make them left and right. Look, they, got a lot of the, they still have a lot to answer about this whole pay-per-view arm. And how yes. that's going to look next year and, and all of that for sure. But strong movement right there. Uh, Luke, that is it for our five topics this Friday. We're going to have a couple, a little bit of fun. Uh, one of the topics we do every Friday, if you hit up morningcombat at gmail.com, you have the opportunity to send us fan subs, which we'll get to in a minute on Wednesday. But dead wrong on Friday, a chance for Luke and I to take that L if possible, stand up to trial and find out. Um, were we right or were we dead wrong? Uh, uh. All right, just one dead wrong today, Luke. What a week for us, right? I cannot believe that. Kevin uh, wrote this one. Uh, Eric and Jacob also wrote their own. But here's Kevin saying, On Friday's show, while accepting a dead wrong for saying Tyron Woodley KO'd Darren Till, BC can't help himself and immediately commits another dead wrong by saying that was the last time Woodley was on top. Er, I mean, didn't he beat Damian Maya after that? But that was the last badass performance there, end quote. Yes, that was me hedging just in case I was wrong. Turns out I was wrong, Luke. Kevin says, that's dead wrong because Maya fight happened a year before the Till fight. BC's faulty memory and lack of comprehension of the linear flow of the time is a testament to the fact that there's no such thing as a free lunch when it comes to a lifetime of gas station hot dogs and taquitos. Dude, if there has never been a more fair bit of criticism ever said, that is damn right. Uh, I'll take that L. I was wrong. BC, yeah. I, have a, I have a special dead wrong for you that came from one of our viewers named Eric. Here's what he writes. This dead wrong comes from July 12th during the Room Service Diaries featuring Michael Chiesa. For the entire one hour, four minutes, and 31 seconds of that video, Brian Campbell's outfit was absolutely dead wrong. <laughs> to quote my wife, quote, he looks like a 23-year-old girl going to the airport. Why is he wearing that? End quote. Yeah. Brian, yeah. leave the head-to-toe white sweatsuits to the sorority girls because while they stay the same age, you continue to get older and more washed. Sincerely, Eric. Uh, I mean, look, you know, I did wear that to... Uh wonderful comedic effect luke knowing the pompous nature of it but i will say this that's some all the smoke swag another showtime digital product which you can buy that exact outfit that i was wearing there it's comfortable and feels great luke so you know i'm gonna keep rocking it's like the low t one love marley hat you may not like it fits great on my fat sideways head luke okay so you know <laughs> su suck me sideways as a famous man once said there luke all right but yes i was dead wrong on that too uh same email address will get you your wednesday fan subs we ran a little late on wednesday so we've got mail i think uh here's some uh fan got mail. submissions do we have the the jingle 
I don't know if we, do we have the jingle anymore? Gaff, we got the jingle? <clears throat> We've got mail. Viewers. Viewers, yes. Apparently it played. Thank you, oh, it Gaff. Played. Okay, great. Okay. Gaff. Uh, Gaff, uh, hi. Well, Gaff, probably high, first of all, but Gaff, high on the uh, Malka pound for pound rankings right now. You know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah. He's on, he's on yeah, a nice yeah. run, right? Right? He's like Josh Emmett right now. It's great. Uh, this first fan sub from Nathan. These have been great lately, by the way. Let's see what happens today. Uh, sup, Donks. Last Friday, my beautiful girlfriend Kelsey and I completed a 44 hour, 10 state cross country move from California to Luke's hometown of DC. Her family came along with us for nearly the whole journey and we couldn't have done it without them. The first photo is me with some P1 merch downtown on Sunday to see what? some of the sites. Have included us, have not included scouting new routes to the capital. Uh, also, Luke, uh, we'll both be starting law school here this fall. Nathan's going to hey. George Washington. But she, his lovely partner, is going to Har uh, Howard. I'm a huge fan of both of you guys, and Kelsey has semi-begrudgingly become one as well. Yes, Luke, we, we tend to, like, we never went over the women up front. We tend to come around the back. We tend to reach around. We'll get there. We'll get there, Luke, okay? <laughs> Thank you, yes. Uh, if y'all were to host a live show in this area next time that a UFC or, heck, even a Bellator card takes place in D.C., We'll be the first ones in line, and I could even be Luke's new DD. Semper Fi to Luke, but don't forget that Marine stands for My Ass Rides in Navy Equipment. <laughs> oh, from a former sailor, thanks for the great work. It's Nathan from Long Beach. In, yes. in fairness, I didn't, but we did get Army hand-me-down gear, which was always my favorite. I got to say, dude, I've said it before. It used to be the case, you know, you go to Vegas, and, and because of the line of work, people recognize you or whatever, and for the fights... And that's that's fun. That's cool. And then I would go back to D.C. and no one would ever recognize me anywhere, dude. I, like, I'm not gonna say it's every time I leave the house. And you know, I haven't left the house all that much recently. But in general, like if I'm out at a, at the mall or you know at a restaurant, dude, I get stopped almost every single time from MK fans. Almost wow. every single time. Yeah, it's crazy how often it happens now. D.C. is turning into a little bit of an M.K. hotbed, if you know what I'm saying. Uh, no, no, no. I don't want them to notice me because I'm definitely going to be picking my nose when they do or wearing yeah. the most ridiculous dad outfit possible. I do love them, though. Thank you to the people. And shout out to his, his girl, Kelsey. I mean, you know, if, if you got to have us in your life, you might as well embrace it, okay? Uh, so shout out to Nathan there. Let's go to Russell. Luke, this is the guy from Georgia. Remember he got married with Elvis? As we celebrated our first wedding anniversary, we wanted to remind all involved that if it's still a debate as to, as to who the donk of the year were last year and still this year, we've got those receipts that are just as convincing as Luke's argument that John Bones is the greatest of all time. Oh, wow, a little high court shot out there. Uh, pick number one here. Last year, we went and did a thing in Vegas and had to fly that beautiful MK flag. This is when they got married with Elvis, Luke, okay? okay. That's number one. Uh, number two, they got married with Elvis, as mentioned. Uh, right, here's a little right. recap of Russell and his fine bride there. Number three, one of us spent three days in the ICU due to a black liver deal. Uh-oh. This was his regular room on discharge day. Wow, he's, he's going all out into this MK thing here, Luke, right? What's he the better, get next? The next the one gout? better not be a coffin. I mean, this is uh, heading in the wrong direction. <laughs> uh, next one, the checkup went well. Four bands on the Varuses were good to go. Does that make any sense to you, Luke? Is it a reference <clears throat> to like a vasectomy or some shit? I don't know, but uh, I'm glad to see Russell's liver turned out well there. And five here, we hit a spot or two that may look familiar to you. 
The first one I got you, BC, is a little lake spot just north of Old Marietta on Bell's Ferry. That was the early shooting location of Ozark on Netflix. Nice. The Blue Cat is a real place. It used to be the Little River Bar and Grill. Now JD's Barbecue on the lake. And, Luke, they saw Baz's interpretation of Elvis, which was goodish. And uh, wearing our merch as well. And then finally, Luke, uh, yes, Luke, we made our way down to the Big Chicken. It was restored yeah, about 10 years yeah, ago. Dude. About uh, apologies for the long form, fellas, but like Jock Peterson says, we are those motherfuckers. Bro, uh, the big chicken, I cannot explain to you how important this place is as a landmark in this area. I used to live down the street from this in this uh, shitty old apartment. Uh, man, the big chicken is like in this area, I swear to God, you'd be like, hey, uh, I'm trying to get to, I don't know, whatever, the gym, the grocery store, whatever. And they'd be like, where is it? would be like, you know, this is before, you know, everyone had phones and shit. You'd be like, oh, it's just a mile past the big chicken. Like, it was the fucking landmark for yes. orientation and everything else. I got into uh, an argument with my, one of my friends in this very parking lot my senior year because he showed up fucking late for something. Dude, I, this, is, this is, I haven't seen the big chicken. Honestly, I'm not joking. In 15, 20 years, however long it's been, this was, I used to, I'm telling you, I lived right down the fucking street from there. Right down the street. Shout out. Uh, he closes by saying, we love you, dude. Thanks for being the real deal. Holy Fields, the space is filled with a lot of pretenders, but those that put forth the facade of toughness and hyperbole, but y'all are the straight dope that this space needs. Keep fucking grinding. Stay as healthy as possible. Most importantly, keep your conjoined center. It's important to tell the truth and be rational while doing it, but a little crazy can be fun too. Peace, my brothers. Luke, this was a great celebration of us, but very self-serving. From Russell here, trying to become, trying to stop David Appleton as the 2022 MK Donk of the Year. Look, we're only halfway through this year, okay? Just just a reminder on that, Yeah, right? I got to say, one last thing. So if you see the beak, by the way, the beak moves at all times. It just opens and closes, and the eyeballs go like this. They go like in a circle like that. Just as a reminder of everyone, or if you may not know the geography, if you go out of the Big Chicken and you make a left, you get to Wheeler High School, which is where Douglas Lima went. And you go to the right, you get to Marietta High School, the old building, the new one. I think this new one is still to the right. But you make a right, and then you go to Marietta High School where I went. So it's sort of like yeah. that in-between space. Probably a lot of Dollar Generals around there too, Luke. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yes. No but push. by the way, so Catacorner to the Big Chicken, so not across the street but diagonal, Catacorner was another shopping Catacorn. center. And that was the place that was the first time. I was like 95, 96, something like that. I can't remember exactly the time. That was, the, that was when you could go to record stores and you could hand them a CD and you could listen to it. You remember that, you know? Oh, yeah. And oh, yeah. Uh, that was where I, I accidentally stumbled upon Far Beyond, excuse me, um, Vulgar Display of Power by, by Pantera. That was where I heard it the first time. And, you know, that, I was like, what am I listening to? This is amazing. It was right across the way there from the Big Chicken. I had the same revelation in the first Jerky Boy CD, Luke, in the back of Rich Brennia's car. I mean, I was just like, this is the best thing of all time. All right. Uh, Luke, let's go over to Ty. Hey there, Washington. Mighty MK Ultra team. Question for the wise MMA master, Luke Thomas. I'm currently a year away from my mechanical engineering degree at the top engineering school in Colorado, and I'm at a crossroads. I was active duty in our beloved Corps from 2015 to 2020, and have mm -hmm. felt out of place ever since. I was originally an 0321 recon contract, but dislocated my, my uh, shoulder school <coughs> and didn't make it through BRC. I've been thinking a lot about going back as an officer and trying again, and it's mm. bothered me as I didn't make it since the second I left BRC. On the other hand, I've grown up an MMA fan 
and uh, I was 12, blah, blah, blah. My dad watched Faber fights. They were too violent. The coaches at his gym, Luke, they're now include the greats, Corey Sanhagen, Cody Donovan, Christian Allen, while my cousin is actually the head wrestling coach at the University of Kearney. I have a lot of resources to go pretty far with a little regional MMA run, maybe further if the MMA gods accept me into the tribe. With your experience in both and a good backup plan with an ME degree, should I follow my dreams where I like MMA or USMC or play it safe there uh, and stick with where the money is in engineering, even yeah. though I really don't like it in that world? Luke, uh, this is a this is stick a crossroads. Stick with engineering. Stick with engineering. The problem with like going from enlisted to officer is there's a lot of ways in which your your job can be guaranteed as an enlisted guy, depending on your ASVAB scores and stuff like that. And I'm sure he did really well on them. Which one, by the way, which one is it? Is it the guy on the left or the guy on the right? Do we know? Uh, he says, uh, I've thrown in some of my favorite memories in the core for Luke's nostalgic pleasure. The ball and meeting our Medal of Honor recipient, S Sergeant Dakota Meyer. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, okay. Dunk okay. Disciple Ty. That's Ty right there, Luke. Okay. Yeah, so if you go back to the other one, the one where he's in the dress blues. So it's he's a sergeant, which you can tell by the three stripes on top. And then the one on the sleeve means he has at least four years of service. I cannot tell what the service medal is. And then the red stripe on the pants, not everyone gets those. You have to become an, what's called an NCO, non-commissioned officer. Um, and you, you get a sword, and it's called the blood stripe. It's from a famous battle um, in the uh, years, well, decades ago, obviously, at this point. But um, so what I would say is the problem with it is, is an enlisted guy, if like you like kill it on the ASVAB and stuff like that, and then you, and the, the military has certain openings, you can kind of guarantee what you do a little bit. Uh, the problem with the, with the officer school is in, it's in Quantico, and they divide the class in threes, the top third, the middle third, and the bottom third. And in, depending on which of those you get in, they, they, each, of those, each of those thirds gets ranked one to whatever, one to whatever, one to whatever. So you could be in the top third of your class, but if you're in the bottom part of the top third, you may not get even close to the job that you want. Yeah, and, that's but, like but if, English soccer, Luke, the EPL, you know? Yeah, kind of, because here's the thing. Where, what's a better place to be, the bottom of the top third or the top of the middle third? The answer is the top of the middle third, but you can't guarantee where you're going to get placed. So there's just a lot of inherent risk about where, what kind of job you're going to get as a consequence. And for that reason, it's very, very, very... And also, dude, like you have to be in very good shape to go to OCS. So what I would say is... Don't do that. But that's just my impression. If like you love the core, like you know, one for the commandant, one for the core, go do it. Luke, at the peak of my POSness, I was at a uh, bar in Hoboken, and a married woman uh, kissed me on the mouth and then whispered in my ear and said, "Don't be the uh, star of your own hometown. Go. <laughs> Don't." I think she said, "Don't be the local mayor. Go." She's right. She's right. She's right. Yeah. Like yeah. Yoel Romero. Go. 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 Oh, indeed. Uh, Ty closes with a PS. Uh, hey, BC with the BDE, don't let Luke bully you with his joke reviews. You stay strong and keep slinging them dad jokes in your new balances. All right, Ty, enough, <laughs> enough of you already. Okay, thank you. Uh, let's go over to Kalen. What's up, BC and Luke? Day one fan here. I was in D.C. this past week. Dude, what the fuck is everyone doing in D.C.? This is crazy. I, you, you live in one of the biggest tourist spots in this country, Luke. I was one of those people last month. Uh, and that, there's the uh, two. Yeah, go back, go back, go back, go back. He had the Washington the, Monument uh, in front guy. of him. And then to, over his right shoulder to the left of the screen is the African-American History Museum, which, by the way, people always ask me, like, what's a good thing to go see? That might be top of the list. 
Yeah, yeah. They're, they every I didn't get to get there. My son got uh, ill for a couple of days, but everything I did see was it was incredible, Luke. I, I dude, I came back except for the price and the attitude of the service workers. <laughs> Damn, do I love that area, uh, Luke? Kalen says. Uh, I had to rock the tie-dye. Uh, I even got my brother to go tip-to-tip -tip with me in front of the White House. Is that legal? He oh, had, shit. <laughs> he had, well, it might be preferred. Uh, he had no idea what was going on. By the way, uh, thanks to Luke for the fireworks show recommendation. My family loved it. Thanks for everything you guys do. You make my days much better. I knew you guys would rise to the top. Oh, Let's BC. keep that momentum this is going. The, uh, this is where you were raving about. This is the World War II memorial to yes. his back. That was uh, good. That was good spot to watch the fireworks, actually. Powerful, yes. I, dude. You know me. I'm a dunk. I stumbled into it, not knowing what it was, what it's going to give me, and I was like, I felt it. Look, there's seriously, there's like a, there's like a, I don't want to say spiritual presence, but there's a presence there. Maybe it's the respect for the men and military, Luke. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's, it's a heavy spot right there. It's a heavy yeah, spot. Yeah, there's no question about it. You know? Wow. Okay, uh, I got one here from Gavin's friend. Who the hell's Gavin? I don't know. Uh, picked up some light reading on the way out the to... The Gavin? <laughs> on the way out of Brewhouse. Came with a free audiobook, which I'm happy to confirm is indeed voiced by the author himself. <laughs> it includes all of the interruptions, shouts, screams, and all-around beer, ear-bleeding goodness recommended for a truly visceral experience. It's Tales from Margaritaville by Luke Thomas. <laughs> wow. I, I gotta say, that is, that is exceptional. <laughs> that is exceptional. <laughs> a wow. two 42-year-old pieces of shit coughing on the microphone yeah. as, our, as our own viewers roast the shit out of us. This is now, great. Luke, I've never gone. I don't love the guy's music, first of all. But you know as a kid, you find out early, you want to see... Like, all your teachers growing up, like, old people just be, like, pass out drunk. Like, go to, go to, a, go to a Jimmy Buffett concert. Dude, Jeff, can I tell you the truth? I tell you the truth. I had fraternity brothers who loved Jimmy Buffett and would play fucking Cheeseburger in Paradise 24-7. Yeah. And I wanted to assault all of them with a baseball yeah. bat. I mean, like, I don't hate everything he's ever done, but I don't think his career and song category equals the amount of like rabidness people are look i mean look i've gone to concerts of bands i didn't love like remember remember that commercial stretch of the dave matthews band like everyone went to those concerts you just went to try to get drugs and girls right i mean like you know you want to go to this guy's concert for the party that's fine but i can't come out of there being like i'm gonna put the parrot on my shoulder and go you know pass out with my clothes off during that show no luke come on do you know who hates dave matthews band who my wife. Oh wow! Not she, enough. You should uh, see. You should see her imitate Dave Matthews. She can't not enough stand reggaeton it. for her. In the, she's in not the, really, she's, she's more of a metalhead than anything else. But okay. uh, but you know she goes. She'll like. <laughs> she'll do like this well, look, impression I mean, of him. It's what it's weird. Everyone everyone our age's connection with the Dave Matthews band is weird because like, you know, early stuff great. The free, even the third album, amazing. It's probably my favorite one, Luke. It's jazzy, it's weird, it's wild. But then, I don't you know, know. They, then they entered a thing where every person that you hate, it was their favorite band. And you're like, oh, I can't yeah. be a part of this anymore. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and you know, it, it, things got a little too commercial or whatever. And, but it is one of the things that if you're suddenly 43, Luke, and you throw it on in the backyard while you're grilling, 
If no one's watching, Luke, I'm, I'm getting down. I mean, you know, number Listen, 31, I'm, 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 I'm good out, with it. I'm good yeah, with it. Yeah, I, like, I love Dave Matthews. Yeah, it's fine. But, you know? but uh, you're right. They be, kind of became like all those annoying. Again, I grew up in Georgia. So like, you know, they, they all the preppy guys, the people who are well yeah. off, you know, they all kind of gravitated to it, which automatically made me hate it. But my brother graduated from UVA in 2000. And I don't know where these guys all call home now. But at the time, I think the violinist... And Dave Matthews himself still lived in Charlottesville, which is where they kind of formed as a band. And my brother would see, like, over the course of several years, like, saw him here, saw him there, saw him there. He was kind of keeping it local, even though he had blown up a little bit. Uh, our boy, uh, O'Teal Burbridge, who's on tour right now with the uh, Dead & Company, he, uh, he joined them, Luke, to play the bass parts on uh, number 41. But I have to encourage people to check out that uh, YouTube clip and check it out. I love O'Teal. That's cool. And, uh, yeah, Luke, the musicianship's great. Uh, if you can survive that commercial run where everybody that was lame liked them, that's fine. But, um, yeah, yeah, I'll shout them out. All right, that's cool. Let's keep this thing. Let's let's bury this dead show right here. Uh, Luke, I got Andrew. He says, uh, how's it going, guys? I took my family to the Nautical Museum in Norfolk, Virginia, for our family vacation. There's a picture of my boys and I on the deck of the USS Wisconsin. You know I had to rep the MK. Really enjoying all the extra content lately. Keep up the good work. And P.S., I have included a PSA from my four-year-old, which I think Luke is going to be on board with. Okay. Ethan, do we wear gloves at the gym? Chalk only. Chalk only, that's right. <laughs> what a fucking dad that guy yeah, is. What yeah. a fucking dad he is, man. Not bad that at all, Andrew. Chalk only, boys. Chalk yep. only. Shout out to young Ethan there. If only he could get in the ear, Luke, of Bruce Buffer. All right, and tell that, tell him to his face, right? <laughs> all right. Uh, Owen says, hey, Luke and BC, for starters, it was a little surreal <laughs> hearing you guys tell me on last week's AG1 ad read that we are heading into flow, flu and cold season. As I'm sitting in my garden mid-July, royally applying sunscreen, though I suppose every season is flu and cold for you two wash dads. Anyway, yeah. two weeks ago I dared you to reveal what was up with those elusive naval tats, as well as the Malka Power rankings at the Beer House Live show. For the record, I was joking, mm -hmm. but nevertheless, I apologize. <laughs> The show itself is a trip. As Luke was channeling that Greek life, I felt like watching the last days of the Roman Empire. A glorious car crash of drunken decadence and gurgling grievances. Grievances toward tech issues and toward the concept of sobriety itself. A comedy clusterfuck. Some would say a masterpiece. He's included, Luke, a meme to capture the energy. Vaping enthusiast leaves beer house in state of elation <laughs> after what experts call Margarita Gate. Bartender, to be quite candid with you, I will be having four more. <laughs> <laughs> I need a new drink. Yeah, yeah, that was a great. That's that's a, Luke. That's a special version of you. That's an animal right there. But listen, uh, I try to keep it caged and and. Uh, yeah, I like to be your Steve Irwin every once in a while. Look, you think Bindi's hot or is it too early to have this conversation? All right, let's keep it going. Oh. Skits and bits aside, says Owen, the fact that after the show you guys came out with we can and will do better is exactly the reason MK is great. Shout out to you and the Malka crew. I can't wait to see the next one, even though I live in the Netherlands and probably will not be attending. Much love. It's Owen. And he's, yeah, there you go. Thank you, Owen. You're amazing. Thank you. Thanks, Owen. Appreciate you, bud. Uh, Luke, maybe the best fan of all time. Web Scream, a.k.a. Christos Christophoros, a.k.a. Dad of the Year, Greek born, Italian 
by choice. He says, hey, MK fam, super last minute with this one. Hope it makes today's show. It didn't, but it made today's show. Uh, on last week's show from the beer house, while one of the hosts was getting a buzz, the other dude stayed on mission and <laughs> kept trying to take MK to infinity and beyond. A true hero, Brian Campbell. That, yes, yes. That is. Uh, I got to say, that's, that's pretty great. That's about as good as, as it gets. My, uh, my son Isaac revealed to me yesterday that he loves this pic so much. He saw me post it on Instagram that he saved it in his phone, and he wants to go to see that movie with me now. So uh, you know, Oh, that's cool. Yeah, so thank you, uh, uh, Web Screen. Well done. Good to see Web Screen come out of retirement. Look, it took your scumbag, uh, drunk, uh, you know, frat version of you to pull Web Screen out of retirement. I'm here for that, okay? Listen, there are surprising ways to motivate the audience. I'll yes. take all of them. By the way, shouts to fellow Greek uh, Taxi Funtus, who is, uh, I'm, I'm probably mispronouncing his last name wrong, but he plays for DC United. He's still scoring, even though the team sucks. So there you go. All right, all right. Uh, Anthony says, here's a small piece celebrating Luke and Brian's success on their awesome show. I wanted to make this like those 80s sci-fi posters. I just started drawing, and this came up. Wow. <laughs> Dude, Luke, that's this, pretty good. This is really good. He says, sadly, this was being worked on as my family and I put our sweet and lovable Siberian husky, Yaki, uh, I, I assume down. Oh, 14 years to, to sleep. I'm off social media for a week due to his passing. I don't know if this will be on fan subs, but willing to send you guys a print if you would like. Contact me. It's Anthony, yeah. a.k.a. Ray's Muse from Bonsai, California. Bonsal? Bonsai? Can you, Luke, can you blow it up again there? Uh, uh, we might have to make this a t-shirt, maybe the backdrop of our studio. This is my kind of color scheme. I love this, Luke. I can't quite tell exactly what's on our laps in terms of what the books say. I can't read that well. It's a, it's a. You're wearing a Bellator championship belt. I'm wearing yeah, a WBC. Yeah, I see that. And you've got the WBC green boxing belt. But I'm saying like those books on the like the. I can't quite read what, what's on them. But look at yeah. the bottom right hand corner. You have like the Weeble Wobble that has CKB. Oh wow! I mean, they nailed it there. They there's a vape stick. They uh wow. Okay, well done, well done right there. This is one of my favorites from Ray's Muse here. King of Connecticut, it says, Luke, apparently. I guess. All right. Uh, Luke, you know this fella, or at least you should. Luke, if I said which one of our great fans is from Mount Unike, Nova Scotia, who would you say? I don't fucking know. <laughs> our French-Canadian brethren, uh, JP, of course, Luke. Uh, good day, MK staff and fans. JP is back at it with a friendly fan-to-show appreciation note. And to thank our very own B.C. Sullenberger for only staring the drunken Delta 8 Luke Thomas live shit show plane. But also for landing that dirty old bitch. Luke, look at how great this meme is. Good yeah, lord. This is, this is pretty great. Also, the look on Rashad's face is just too perfect. <laughs> I mean. So it's my well-coiffed hair atop Sully Sullenberger's body. It's... Uh, you being rescued with A. Braun and, and Charles Mindenhall. I'm Luke Thomas, and don't worry, I'm completely sober. Wow. Wow, Luke. Um, yeah, that's a good one. That, this, that, that event, I got to tell you, produced some you know, collateral damage that is uh, of the funnier side, I have to say. Jay says, thank you, BC, for your heroism and guidance during the show and ensuring all passengers and crew were safe and sound, well aside from Luke's liver. I've decided to make a drinking game based on the episode. Take a shot every time Luke said to BC, I love you, you are my friend, I mismanaged my alcohol intake, and I apologize. In all seriousness, uh, that show was about as classy as you guys can get when you apologized, and we thank you for your honesty and upfront ownership of what happened. Love you guys, fan for life. 
representing Nova Scotia on that bitch, Luke. Oh, shit. Uh, here comes, uh, speaking of A. Braun, Luke, Aaron Bronstetter, friend of the show, fill-in host, friend of MMA, Luke, friend of Vinyl Records. He created his own Blue Note-style jazz album for uh, you and I. What do you think here? That is amazing. I love it. Amazing. I love it. I love it. A. A. Braun is is one of the good ones there. So shout out to uh, to old uh, Elvis Costello himself. Uh, let's go over to Justice. He says, uh, I, "I thought I'd share a few thoughts. I've been subscribed since 10K. I believe I've watched every video that's been posted. Sadly, I don't have any merch or any photos of it to attach. Yet because money is tight for the reasons below, just want to let y'all know I appreciate y'all." When I was 12 years old, I got diagnosed uh, with an enlarged heart and a virus attacked it. I spent seven months on my deathbed waiting for a transplant, about 100 surgeries, two separate six-week comas, uh, relearning how to walk. I mean, look, this guy's been through it all. He finally got the call in July of 2011 for a transplant, and he just turned 24. And over the ha last ha year and a half, he's, he's had some more setbacks. Uh, heavy treatments, all that. He just wants to thank us, Luke, for providing analysis of the sports he loves and for all the entertainment we both bring. Uh, Justice says, I spend a lot of time stuck in the hospital and there's not much I can do for entertainment or pass the time while I recover or get treated for... And MK and Luke's live chats do a lot for me. Don't ever underestimate the impact you have or downplay your importance because it is truly life-changing to have something to give an escape or at least a break from having to face the severity of the situation I'm in. Much love and respect for everything y'all bring. Uh, Luke, he closed by saying he's he hopes to get some merch together uh, when he gets a chance and he's sending some pictures of his, of his journey. But Luke, I was so touched by Justice's story. It echoes, of course, some of what my son Isaac has been through, who's a miracle himself, and as is Justice the same, Luke. Um, touch beyond belief, not just at his courage, his perseverance to get through a, a, what's been a tough journey, but look at the smile on his face now um, to see where he's at. He's factory town tough, as, as our producer Mikey just reminded me, no question about it. But Luke, I don't take for granted one thing. We do have an opportunity through our stupid humor to distract people for you know two hours or every two days or whatever it is. You know, you're not always gonna love us, you'll dead wrong us. I'm an MMA casual in most of your eyes, and that's great. But Luke, along, of course, with fulfilling our dreams, making money, supporting our families, and all that, I mean it. I don't take for granted one day the opportunity to, 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 to catch you guys on a wrong day and give you something to goof on and laugh about. That means the world to me. So to see people like Justice Luke, and we got a lot of people in our, in our live show, whether it was a debacle or not, whether you loved it or hated it, we had a long line of people that were telling us how much we mean to them and um i don't know if it's justified luke but i take that responsibility of of you know trying to plan something that can that can bring a smile to your face very seriously so thank you guys for getting us thank you for persevering through your own challenges in life and luke and i as we sometimes make fun of have our own that are very serious at times as well and uh we're all in this together luke i get a lot of people that say i can't believe you dm me back B bc I'm just like, I can't believe you liked our show and subscribed and love us this much. Thank you. You know what I mean, Luke? Super, super grateful. Glad this guy is, you know, obviously the sounds like the um, difficulties are not over. But uh, our, you want to tell him what, what, well, first of all, let me just say, you know, I appreciate you watching the show and for the kind words. Keep going one foot in front of the other. Yeah. And uh, we're going to help him out a little bit, right? 
I mean, what's the least we can do? This guy is excited to put some coins together and get some merch when he can. How about you hold that money, keep it for yourself, spoil yourself. Uh, our producers are going to get your address, and RJ Dunkelmaker, our fine merch maven, said, without without hesitating, yeah, let's send this guy our, our best. Let's send him everything we got. So shout out to Justice. Uh, hope to see you. Uh, they tell you to check your email right now. They've already reached out to you, actually. So by the time you hear this, you'll have that email. Uh, we love you, brother. And we love all of our fans. Luke, Luke, I know that's not necessarily your calling card of why you're here. You provide some of the best MMA anal analysis in the game. But it's got it's touching, Luke, to hear that. You know what I'm saying? It's touching as it's shit. A really, no, it's like you just you you can't imagine that when you do something like this, you would ever have that kind of relationship with anybody. But then these kinds of things happen, and yeah. uh, they are humbling, and you know, kind of in a, in its own way, delightful. That delightful that you could do something like that for someone beyond just the scope of what the job is. So uh, honored, humbled, and thrilled to have someone like that along for our ride truly amazing amazing uh, that second picture by the way is after justice woke up from his nine hour transplant surgery so he's been through it and he's still coming on luke so justice if you're coming on bro keep coming all right come keep coming on okay we love you brother uh luke what a great way to end a a long and exhaustive and probably uh way too long for its necessary needs show on friday to set the stage for the weekend um enjoy your weekend sir okay watch those fights Maybe get some sunshine, okay? Well, and by the way, I'm not sure if you're hosting it or I'm hosting it. We'll figure that out. But we are going to have a post-fight show. Post-fight show on Saturday following UFC and ABC3. So be on the lookout for that. Great stuff. Uh, if you haven't already liked us or subscribed, look, it takes one second. You can, you, can, you can mute the notifications. We're not asking for blood here, but it helps us uh, continue to grow as a, as a brand. Maybe we'll come to your cité one day and get to meet you straight up. So uh, do that. Please check out our other content, youtube.com slash morning combat. Jake Paul interview you're not going to want to miss. Michael Chiesa on the couch. So much going on in this case. Uh, shout out, of course, to uh, Mikey Morms, our producer. Long Island Luke and Gaff on the ones and twos there in Jersey City. Uh, for the great Luke Thomas... Who's, who's really the backbone of what we do here, and we rally around this guy. I am BC, your friend and mine. Uh, signing off for the week. Enjoy yourselves. Take care of this, okay? This is all you need. All you need is a clear head to get through life. Take care of it. Protect it. We love you. Two more words. We out.